0: Me a go no go for launch.
1: Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was going to say something that was not true.
2: I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history.
0: We are go for launch.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. This is episode 119. We are recording this Sunday, March 28th, 2021 at 3 o'clock Pacific time. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Guys, we have uh, March Madness going on right now. Baseball opening day is on Thursday. We all went to the movie theaters this weekend to see a movie. I mean, think stuff feels kind of normal now, doesn't it? Getting there. Getting there getting closer, getting closer.
2: Yeah. I mean, we had a lengthy exchange over Jim Lovell's birthday on Twitter, Terry. That was pretty normal.
1: <laughs> that was beautiful. That was beautiful. If you don't know, go check out. Yeah. Uh, it was Jim Lovell's birthday this last week and that lasted like 20 tweets.
2: Nothing normal about landing on the moon. I'll tell you that the normal about landing on. The
1: moon. <laughs> how did that one not come up? That, that should have been on, on the list. Uh, I like how none of them got liked by anybody except the two of us. We're just bantering back and forth. Nobody cared. Nobody cared but us, but that's okay. Uh, all right. Well, uh, it's time to check out what are we drinking. So, Zach, what are you drinking today? Uh, I
2: have to let everybody down today. I'm drinking some Agua Fria because I have a study session later tonight, and I don't want to be too randy and Get and lose my job.
1: To Randy, baby. Austin Powers is the only one that uses that word in that way. Just letting you know. Good to know. Yeah. All right. Todd, what are you drinking?
0: Uh, I'm drinking the Mina Mesa Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, Paso Robles. And the only reason I got it is because Paso Robles is where the Cab Franc is that Miles didn't like. So I got the Cab Sauv instead.
2: Yeah. Didn't it place third at at Castle Robles? It won the silver medal. Silver medal winner. That's right. Never come never come to expect greatness from a cat front.
0: And this one is no different. This one is pretty good though.
2: All right. Well, uh I already're we're, we're alienating our viewers with the sideways and Paul 13 references already. We're only two minutes in, so I know. we have a problem. Zach's got dogs
1: barking in the background. It's chaos. <laughs> All right. Well, I have I, I went to a different um a different place this time. For my growler fill-up. This was the noble hop beer house in uh in Hillsboro. Don't go there very often because they don't have their own beer, they just have everybody else's. But um, it's still pretty pretty good stuff. So I got here, I mean, check out the, the color on this thing. This is the um from Great Divide Brewery in Denver, Colorado. This is their oak-aged chocolate cherry imperial stout. So
0: it looks like wood
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's good that's good stuff that's good stuff so yeah Ooh, and then the oakiness comes in at the end interesting interesting okay all right
2: strawberries not uh, the cheese not the cheese no cheese no okay no
1: Well, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, We are all over the internet. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Pandora, on Spotify. You can find us at almostsideways.com. You can find our blog at almostsideways.blogspot.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. All that fun stuff. All right, let's get into what we've been watching. Boom. What have we been watching?
2: Zach, you're first. All right, so uh, early, one of the great um, benefits of this uh, pandemic was when we did our best movies under 1,000 votes list. I watched a movie called In the Family, which I think at this point would rank on my top 10 of the decade list. It was absolutely spectacular. The director of that movie is Patrick Wang. And I watched another film of his this week, um, and it was called "The Grief of Others." Todd has watched one of his movies too, which I need to check out at some point. Um, "The Grief of Others" is a movie from 2015, and it it tells the story of. It's actually based on a book, uh, and it tells the story of this family, um, and uh, basically, they live. I think they live somewhere on the East Coast, and I think New Jersey. And uh, w- what has happened at the beginning of the movie, as it starts, is they've lost uh, a child in. Childbirth. The movie is sort of ambiguous about how exactly those events transpired, but we know that all these characters are in grief, and like a lot of repre- repressed white suburban families, don't really talk about it. And then this character comes in the picture, the father's biological daughter from his first marriage, who also happens to be pregnant, and she kind of swoops in on this family. And, you know, she's sort of um, having her own problems. The son and daughter are having their own problems. It feels kind of like a more Um, Sort of serious and grounded Todd Salon's movie without the kind of grotesque over-the-topness. And, you know, Patrick Wang really likes to do long takes, um, sort of uninterrupted uh, takes. And um, basically, like in The Family, it's very much about characters that are afraid to kind of reveal too much of themselves to even the people that they assume to be, you know, close to and intimate um, with. And, uh, you know, he, he definitely has some stylistic flourishes. There's some weird sort of superimpositions throughout the movie and like a weird red filter that he keeps coming back to. Um, I didn't like this movie quite as much as In the Family, but then again, there, there are few movies as great as, as that experience was. But this is an absolutely solid movie with some really um, great acting by the leads in this movie, Wendy Monitz Grillo and Trevor St. John. Um, if you haven't guessed it by now, this is a super, super low budget movie. Patrick Wang um, distributes his own movies. It has a grand total of 174 votes on, on uh, IMDb. Although, interestingly enough, Rachel Dratch from Saturday Night Live is in this movie, even though she's only in, like, one scene of it. So, I don't know. Maybe they got her for a day of filming. Anyway, this is about as as low-key, low-budget and indie as it gets. And I want to watch A Bread Factory, both parts of it. I think this guy is a super, super talented And I listen to him on a podcast lately. I think uh, the world of him. And I cannot wait to see what he continues to do and evolve as a filmmaker. So, Patrick Wang, if you're out there, we'd love to have you on the pod and uh the grief of others is a really solid three and a half star movie
1: very nice very nice all right i have not seen that just in in case you're wondering
2: you're you're not one of the 174 well now 175 okay yeah, yeah good to know
0: all
1: right todd your turn take us into the cager
0: All right, so for the 31st edition of The Cager, we are going to... 31st edition? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Been doing this a while. Uh, 2014, Vic Armstrong movie, Left Behind. Ah. So this movie has a 3.1 on IMDb. It's number 34 in its bottom 100. It's got a 1% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 12% on Metacritic. Some of the principal actors are Jordan Sparks and Quentin Aaron. And the director's only other movie to that point was a Dolph Lundgren action movie in the early 90s. And Cage only did the movie because his brother Mark Coppola is a priest and uh, he really likes the book. And so I went in this with uh, weird high hopes. Um, The menu music on the DVD is really strange. It's like it thinks it's Indiana Jones, which is a really strange way to start this movie because the rest of it's like Lifetime movie, corny uh music and look uh but but until like the end is like this like Con Air rip-off scene that actually has some of that music so it's a weird it's a weird movie it's based on the book which was made into a trilogy of movies uh starring kirk cameron at one point and cage plays rayford steel who is a pilot uh when the rapture happens he is actually flying a plane and a good chunk of the plane gets taken including his co-pilot but not him so he's got a sort of fight to keep the remaining passengers uh, calm while he's trying to land the plane uh, where the ground is just in complete chaos with uh, the impending tribulation. Um, The previous iteration was more about the people on the ground, but this is is like, it's a Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, It's it's an action disaster movie because of course it would be because Nicolas Cage is the pilot. And uh, there's some just like sitting around talking about theology and stuff like that. But somehow this movie it, like offends everybody that it, that it um that 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 saw it because it, it's it's based on this like insanely popular Christian book, but it makes this point almost that um like any religion is like good enough and uh, and it kind of makes the Christians look a little loony. So I'm not really sure how they could screw that up. They like their target audience, they completely alienate them, which I think is just perfect for this kind of movie. Uh it does have like some predictable soapy scenes with the people on the ground, like uh, thinking about their lives and like talking about how like they have like a crisis of faith and stuff like that, but I don't know. I was interested. It was an action movie because it's got bad visuals and all that stuff, and it's an interesting take. Like seeing all these this like wide array of random passengers like uh, trying to come together to understand and to survive, and while they're like emotional and frantic. I mean, I'm not saying it works because it really doesn't. But I, it was a curious decision to make it like this. And maybe I'm just going to be a, a cage apologist but I don't think this is the worst movie ever. Uh the only problem is that The Leftovers is a like a far superior idea and a similar premise and that came out the exact same year and that show had no agenda but it was it was a really cool uh really cool premise and a really good underrated show. Uh there, there's something here that could have been good but it just can't really get anywhere. Uh this is exactly the kind of movie I wanted to watch when I started this project <laughs> because like I never get to just watch bad movies anymore to have an excuse to. And Cage has so many of them, but he may still make them watchable. I'm giving it one and a half stars. Putting it number 77 on the cager between National Treasure Book of Secrets and Arsenal. But yeah. Left behind.
1: Not as bad as National Treasure. That's uh
0: well no it, it's one spot or below it's, National it's, Treasure. Yeah not one figures. spot below. Yeah.
1: <laughs> at least uh, yeah at least it's worse than National Treasure. You could say, I don't know.
0: <laughs> it's, yeah, they turn Left Behind into a disaster movie. Like a, that's, an action movie because it's Nicolas Cage. That's bizarre.
2: How would that's you compare bizarre. Left Behind to uh, Knowing, the the Nicolas Cage movie that Ebert loved from like, oh, nine?
0: Well, I mean, I think Knowing's a really good movie. But that, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it, there's some similarities, I guess, in in it, like, it's like spirituality and stuff, but I don't know.
2: To me, they seem like the same movie, but I haven't seen Left Behind. I don't. I, I I'm not brave enough to venture into that territory. I commend you to bravely go where few others have gone before.
1: Well, and I've seen the Kirk Cameron one, and that one it was like trying to be a movie with a budget. I mean that, that's kind of what it felt like. It like it tried to be, be- bigger and better than it actually was, and it wasn't and didn't really quite get there, so it's like, really, we're remaking this already? That's kind of crazy,
2: but... Is this by the same studio that did that movie we watched with the song that got nominated for the Oscar? What, what oh, what it rescinded? Song? Oh, Alone Yet Not Alone? Yeah, or am I just, you know, lumping all Christian film companies together? Probably.
0: Yeah,
2: I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Well... Uh, it is time for my my Oscar watch of the week, and here's your quiz, guys. We're going back 30 years to 1991. This movie was nominated for six Oscars. It won one for uh, original screenplay.
0: Thelma and Louise.
1: It's Thelma and Louise. It's possibly the biggest blind spot of any on my uh, on my list for for this year. I don't know this and Boys in the Hood were pretty big blind spots. And in fact, I think it's kind of an interesting debate on what would have, what was in sixth place for best picture that year, Boys in the Hood or Thelma and Louise. You got to think it's Thelma and Louise, with the director nomination and the screenplay win,
0: two and acting
1: two. nominations, cinematography and editing. It, it,
0: yeah, that's I, one of those like, how the hell did that not get nominated for best picture?
1: I know, I know. And what 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 got in ahead of it? I I forgot Prince to look tides. this. Up.
0: Prince of Tides,
1: was that? What, was that the only other one that was, like, on the border?
0: Well, I'm sure. Um, I mean, Beauty and the Beast, I'm sure, was close to a lock. Yeah, and, and
1: Bugsy, Bugsy and JFK. And then the, the the slam dunk Silence of the Lambs. So, anyways, yeah, it's crazy that Thelma and Louise got left out. But let's talk Thelma and Louise. So, Thelma and Louise is uh, uh, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Callie Cowrie. And it is uh, starring Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis as Thelma and Louise. Uh, they are best friends who decide to go out on a weekend together. And in the course of that weekend, something happens. I'll just leave it at that. Something happens. And that makes them now running from the law instead of having a relaxing weekend. And in running from the law, they like unlock things about their themselves. And they kind of enjoy the lifestyle that it that it gives them at least at least the uh Thelma does Gina Davis's character uh along the way uh they run into uh a random smattering of characters you've got uh Thelma's husband Daryl played by Christopher McDonald Shooter McGavin himself in the weirdest role I could have possibly pictured him in um because he just doesn't fit at all but okay you've got Susan Sarandon um Louise's uh, boyfriend, Jimmy, played by Michael Madsen, who is basically just Mr. Blonde a year early um, because that's really all he had going for him. Um, And then you've got the um, Arkansas State Police Department detective um, played by Harvey Keitel, who's after them. Along their trip, they run into J.D., played famously by Brad Pitt in uh, his star-turning role, um, and you're really just following them on this uh, kind of crime spree of necessity as they uh, as they try to make it to Mexico and, and beat the law. Um, and then if you don't know the ending, ending, it is quite an iconic ending that uh, that we run into. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I think this movie ages really well. Um, and in looking at the. Um, these two women that felt like they really just needed to get out of their circumstances. they needed to fight back and um, and were concerned about how the reaction to their them fighting back against uh, uh, different things happening in their lives were um, was going to be taken um, I, I thought the two leads definitely deserved their their Oscar nomination, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. I don't think they deserved a win necessarily over uh, Jody Foster in Silence of the Lambs, but uh, I think that was definitely warranted. Um, Brad Pitt, yeah, he just oozes star quality as soon as he hops on the screen. I thought it was really interesting that you did have Harvey Keitel and Michael Madsen in this movie a year before Reservoir Dogs when they were sharing the screen together again. Um, and you also had uh, Stephen Tobolowsky, who was Ned Ryerson in, uh, in Groundhog Day too so uh a great cast um and it's a very interesting directed directing turn for ridley scott um who's known more for like big huge action movies and things like that uh this one he really it, it really fit him well and fit his eye well i'm giving it three and a half stars i really love this movie uh like i said i think it it fits really well in today's time uh and i think it it's thirty years old, but it feels like it's a movie that could have been made today. So, uh, so I, I I really enjoyed it. You guys, what are, what are your guys' thoughts on Thelma and Louise?
2: I really like the scene in Naked Gun thirty three and a third where they make fun where they parody it, um, but. Yeah, that's pretty much my my recollection of that movie is from Naked Gun 33 and 3rd. I don't really remember too much else about it. I remember Siskel and Ebert's review of it, which they totally spoiled the ending. Ebert's review of it was like, yeah, I love, and, you know, I mean, look, it's 30 years. I think we can mention it. Yeah, Ebert's like, I hate the final shot when they fly off the cliff and they're about to die. And then it does the, like, really? Really, Raj? You're just going to spoil <laughs> the whole freaking movie to audiences across the country? And then Gene's like, yeah, well, I like the ending, too, because it's so, so like, whoa. So, but, uh, yeah, you, you know, I, I remember it being a pretty fun movie. I, I, enjoyable.
0: Thoughts. I mean, I don't necessarily remember that much about it either. I remember Michael Madsen in it, but I mean, did, don't they parody the end of, uh, in, uh, like, Wayne's World 2 or something? Or
1: Yes, Cause... yes, they do.
0: So, kind of give away the ending that in that movie, too, which is <laughs> only came out a year later, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of Ridley Scott's better efforts. That doesn't mean it's a good movie, though. I don't know. I think I gave it two and a half stars. I, I think I don't you did.
1: Know. I think you did like i said i think it's aged well so maybe it's a, a film you need to revisit todd if you only give it two and a half okay i was gonna that, say yeah. Yeah,
2: I, go was, I was just gonna say I, I i feel like ridley scott's non-action movies are always kind of interesting like this one and obviously we, we we're all we we're all big fans of matchstick men and like a good year not that that's a good movie but like we always think of him as an action director and he actually had a lot, you know, versatility. Um, but I just think it's kind of interesting. I, like when you think of Tony Scott, you know, there was only one kind of Tony Scott movie, Ridley Scott's kind of all over the place. True. I don't think of yeah. this as a Ridley Scott type movie, but that's a good point.
1: That's a good point. All right. Well, let's get into our featured review now. And for that, we are going to the movie theaters. I think this is the first time that we've uh, all went gone to the theaters in the same weekend in over a year to see a movie we're going to talk about on the podcast. And this movie is one that really had my curiosity hurt. And that was uh, Nobody. Why didn't you take him out?
0: I was just trying to keep the damage to a minimum.
1: Yeah, how's that working out for you? You're
0: okay. Cause you don't look okay.
1: There's a long dormant piece of me.
2: That's so very badly. wants out?
1: Uh, starring Bob Odenkirk. Oh, look at in, that graphic. Yeah. Isn't that a great graphic in wow. an action movie? Shout like Bob Photoshop. Odenkirk action movie that, that doesn't really feel um like it should go, but that, that I think was what was great about the premise at least so let's talk about what we thought todd you're going first what's it about and what'd you think
0: okay nobody is directed by alia nyshuler and it's stars bob on as hutch mansell which is a great name and (laughs) um it is he's a he's a family man whose house uh gets broken into and he sort of wimps out on defending his home but when he realizes they actually took some like personal items with like personal value that are sort of trivial that he like goes out and seeks vengeance on the people that were involved unwittingly beating like the shit out of like this russian mobster's brother and sort of sets off a series of events that uh, reveal his long dormant rage and uh his like secret history uh, it's directed by the director of hardcore henry which i've never seen but i know adam gave it zero stars and it's written by the writer of the john wick movies as well as a producer of those movies and it is a beast of a movie like from the the opening scene, has this song playing that sounds like it's like straight out of Jackie Brown or something. And from like the opening shot, I was all in on this movie. It's essentially kind of True Lies mixed with like a Charles Bronson type action movie thing, but with like the John Wick style choreography. The fights are nuts and they are so violent, but they're done so in a way that makes it more exciting than it really is like disturbing. And it has like one-liners and like normal beats of an action revenge movie. But Odenkirk is the flawless casting, and he's what makes it not so nihilistic. Like he has that smirk on his face still. Like he'll he'll deliver one of those like Bruce Willis kind of lines, like "Don't call 911" or something. But he'll have that look on his face, so it's like, well, I could have done that better, or or he'll like cave in someone's face, and he'll, he'll it'll he'll have that look that that says like, well, I'm getting too old for this. Like he's just unreal here. He's not like Liam Neeson or something. Or Van Damme. He he looks and feels normal, but he's actually kind of convincing as an action star approaching 60. And his voice fits that type of badassery as much as it does like his normal, like neurotic characters. And Christopher Lloyd plays his dad, and I thought he was kind of awesome in this. Like, uh, even though it's completely ridiculous seeing him like wield a shotgun, I mean, it's entertaining to watch. Connie Nielsen plays his wife. Michael Ironside is uh, his father in law slash boss, and he's pretty funny. And the villain is Alexei Serebryakov, who uh I knew from Leviathan, and uh he's like just ridiculously over the top. He sings karaoke and uh, and then he like does some like crazy violent thing. It's it's kind of ridiculous. But when Rizza shows up, I completely lost it. It all makes sense. It made sense at that point because like he is as much of an influence on Tarantino soundtracks as as uh as Tarantino is, and so that that made sense that like the things that reminded me of Kill Bill and stuff, it was Rizza that was the one driving that, and he he's done these kind of like um, pseudo gunfu things with like the Man with the Iron Fists uh, that he directed, and he also directed one of the best movies the last year, uh, but uh, and and like the scenes with him are just, I mean, I I it was just glorious to watch. It was like these slow motion action sequences, but at the same time it had like this classical music blaring that reminded me of like when they go after Ron Perlman and drive it was it was just a beautiful way to end the movie and the one, the one thing that I, I really appreciate about the movie is that they never actually tell you who the uh, who hutch is or what he used to be and, like the characters will just like, see one little thing and they'll they'll just like shudder in fear but so it leaves it up to the imagination which is always a better way to do it because i have no idea what he was actually doing for whoever and i'm i'm kind of glad we never got that flashback scene uh it's an action movie that's essentially like a cross between a history of violence and uh, he was a quiet man which is an underrated like Christian Slater movie but and it, and it's it's completely self aware and bonkers and it would never apologize for that and I love that this is the kind of movie Nicolas Cage thought he was making in the last decade I'm giving it three and a half stars
1: alright alright that was an on fire review right there well Zach what did you think of Nobody
2: boy I'm glad we went in this order I hated this movie <laughs> I thought. Did you even? Did you fall asleep? No. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's new. I well, wish it's because he was in the movie theater. That's true. It was hard hard to do that. I I hated this movie. I, I don't I, I I fully acknowledge that my reaction to it is maybe an irrational reaction. I feel kind of like when you know Ebert gave like one star to Charlie's Angels or to like you know a movie that he just lambasted. I, I could not get into this movie from the opening moments. E- even when they did that quick montage at the beginning of the movie, I was like, Oh, this is all we're going to get. Like the, the, The fact that we have Bob Odenkirk here, one of the great comic actors, and he is so underused in this movie. This is like such a bland performance that really any variety of actors could have played. This director, and I love that we don't, we're not gonna say his name, we're just gonna call him the director of Hardcore Henry. I like that, let's just refer to him as that. He has no sense of like characterization or character development. There's a reason we don't know this character's backstory because the director of Hardcore Henry doesn't really care. And so all we get is these action beats from one point to another. How are we supposed to believe that this guy has basically been sanitized for the last 30 years and then suddenly awakens and then does the crazy shit that he does in this movie? It is completely ridiculous, okay? And I get it. I get that, you know, for it, it's fun to watch it, and it's escapist and what, whatever, but... There's like no, there's there's so no backstory. There's no emotional connection to the characters. He just abandons everything, you know, midway through the movie, and it's like, I get that, and and then and then we get. The shootout at the end of the movie, and I have to—I just have to say a couple things about that. First of all, the movie turns into Home Alone at the end, okay? What, he's going to booby trap his business and draw the, like, give me a freaking break, okay? Another thing I love about it is that he lures them to the, the warehouse, which apparently is only two blocks away from the karaoke place, right? And he's never even seen the karaoke guy before. He has no affiliation with the Russian mob. Uh, And then, of course, we get the money shot with Christopher Lloyd, which, you know what? I mean, that should have been worth the price of admission alone, but by that point, I was just tapped out of this movie completely. I was angry at I was watching. I hated the violence in this movie. I hated that they ruined, even even, the, the one scene that was like kinetic was the fight in the bus. And even that scene was just so ridiculous because by that point, this character has not fought anybody in 30 years. Okay, give me a break. I just I don't see it. This is a waste of time. Worst movie of the year so far. 1 star.
1: 1 star. I think Zach's just mad that he had to spend 10 bucks to see this movie instead of 15. watching it at home. 15? 15 instead of watching it at home on uh, on Netflix. I think that's really what's going on here. It might be. <laughs> <laughs> like how many movies, how many movies have you watched in the last year where you're like, "You know what? I got to watch it for free at home. Two and a half stars. Yep. <laughs> it, it could have helped. Uh, all right. Well, we always we, we, we don't really plan this. This time we kind of tried to guess and we guessed right. I'm giving this three stars and I'm going to steal a phrase from Zach. This is why we go to the movies. Movies like this are why we go to the movies to sit there and be re- uh, entertained by ridiculous, crazy action crap for an hour and a half. It was quick. It was fun. It didn't want to be anything more than that, and that's all. Yeah, that's all I got to take from it. I, I felt like I was watching, I, I was watching something that was supposed to originally have Liam Neeson in it, but then it went with Bob Odenkirk instead, which was I thought was a great turn because I thought he brought his just it being him instead of someone who you already re- relate to as a badass
0: just completely well, he's changed at a loser what? he's better at playing a loser which is he's what he's playing loser. for the for the first 15 20
1: minutes of this movie uh you said you said the you didn't like how you you thought the the uh bus scene was was sloppy and and it didn't it was kind of crazy I mean, it was kind of supposed to be and he got the crap beat out of him in that bus scene too and that's and it's because he hadn't been doing this for a while uh no I I thought it was it was just a lot of fun and and it was it was everything I wanted it to be and it wasn't anything beyond that it wasn't spectacular. I wouldn't go like three and a half star masterpiece like Todd did but uh it's it, it's a fun movie it's popcorn theater it's exactly why we go we it's when you go to the theater for a popcorn movie this is what you want and that's exactly what it was i will say um i had no idea michael ironside was still a thing i and in fact i going into it i saw his name and i said and i said to myself i thought jester was dead but apparently he's still around um and uh and it took me a second to even notice uh, recognize him and uh, Christopher Lloyd in this movie looks like Abe Vigoda did 30 years ago. Uh, that was another thing that I I, I thought of. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. Like I thought, like Abe Vigoda as uh, John Travolta's grandpa in Look Who's Talking is what Christopher Lloyd looked
2: like in. This. Ooh, what, a, what a reference!
1: I know, I know. It's weird, but that is exactly what I thought of as I'm seeing him on screen.
2: So I was getting some Peter Boyle vibes, but maybe oh, we're in the same. Territory. I can see that too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, three stars. Three stars.
1: It was fun. It was fun. That's all I can say.
0: Yeah, I I love that he's not like uh, a perfect like fighter because he does. He gets stabbed. He get he breaks bones. He gets like he gets the hell beat out of him a lot, and that's
2: yeah doesn't seem to affect him.
0: No, I mean it does. He obviously I mean he has to get sewn up and shit. I don't know. I mean he it's uh, but uh, he's uh, it makes it more realistic. He's not just like a guy who's taking on ten guys and he's gonna take them all out without getting scratched.
2: Everything in this movie was just in the service of fight scenes. And I feel like because it's Bob Odenkirk, I I felt like this character could have been a lot more dynamic. For example, think of the relationship between the hero of this movie and the villain of this movie. Oh, you know, the villain of this movie is an over-the-top charismatic character, right? It is total happenstance that they ever even come across each other. Why not give this movie more of a backstory? Why not talk about how the Russian oligarchs have a vendetta against this guy and maybe their history goes back? It is a random chance encounter that all this stuff starts. That is such lazy, lame writing. And I get it. I get that this movie wants to have great action sequences. And, you know, it, it, it's stylized and whatever. But, like, come on. Less Hardcore Henry, more it's the writer Better of John tall. Wick.
0: John Wick has the exact same thing. This is like a, another draft of a John Wick movie. It could be in the same universe, for all I know. Like, I mean, it, it's the same style of writing. And that, those movies are super popular. And I, I think you even like them.
2: <laughs> I have not seen any John Wick movies.
0: Oh, well, you would probably like them. Yeah, Neither have
2: the I, I haven't seen any John Wick either.
0: That is I mean. a weird oversight by you guys. <laughs> yeah, we
1: may need to take care of that at some point. But
0: uh, but the first I, I time thought, watch with Adam, he loves all those movies. There, there we go.
1: I thought it was interesting though, how um, you, you're talking about just a random happenstance of the whole the whole uh villain and everything, but it, I thought it was kind of interesting how they were playing up what he does in this as almost like an addiction. And and he because he, he said several times, I relapsed, and and often when you have a relapse like that, it you know, stuff spirals out of control. And this was its way of showing that stuff was spiraling out of control. It's like you never know whose cousin you just kicked
0: the crap out of. So um he's also got a seven-deuce off to offsuit tattoo, which is awesome. And that's what the one guy saw and no and
1: realized, and then locked what locked like 10 different locks on the door to get out of there.
0: I mean, that's what I, I love that we don't know what he was and why everyone or some He was an auditor. But yeah, but yeah. <laughs> they, they see. They, they they see something and they're just like all right i can't touch that guy people that you wouldn't even think would even have that kind of knowledge
2: like some random korean war veteran or whoever that guy was wouldn't that come up more regularly in his life though i mean if that tattoo is a visible part of him and there's some recognition about it like
0: he lives what? a very boring life chasing garbage trucks and working nine to five for a trashy company
2: I get that. I don't know. I just, I, I didn't believe the backstory. I think that's the problem. I, I think it was inconceivable that this person who was a trained killer and one of the great, you know, I mean, he's such a badass that he, he, you know, unloads the bullets and, you know, he doesn't want to go to the police, right? He's so, such a badass that he can just selectively turn it off for 30 years. I, at a, at a just a basic level, I just have too hard of a time believing that. And I think it was just a wasted opportunity instead to bring in more of Bob Odenkirk's weird eccentric charm
0: well you're the guy who doesn't like a history of violence either so
2: uh, oh absolutely yeah I, I don't
1: like a history of violence either but i thought i don't i i see the connection between a history of violence but this is fun where a history of violence is over dramatized and all i have to say is they should have just made him a Meaning lumberjack that there instead. is drama in it yeah exactly <laughs> but they should have just made him a lumberjack instead that would have made everything better right todd
0: yeah, yeah, in Oregon or something, in 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 wherever that is.
1: I think we're gonna find out, right? Yeah,
2: Zach has no idea what we're talking about, but that's okay. I feel like if we had gone to see this movie at Fox Tower Ten back in two thousand eight, I would have liked it more. The world was hey, a different place back then.
1: This movie would have never played at Fox Tower, not though. Fox
2: Tower, maybe Lloyd Center.
1: That there, Lloyd Center. Yeah, yeah, we would have gone and seen it at Lloyd Center. Yeah, yeah. All right. One star from Zach, three from me, three and a half from Todd. I, I think Zach's just bitter that he had to go watch a dumb action movie for uh, for for the podcast. Yep, yeah, that's that's really what's going on here. Yeah, that's just gonna happen. Zach is either gonna give every movie we go to the theaters for. He's either gonna give one star or four stars. I, I'm I'm predicting that now. Mm-hmm. It's either gonna be not worth my money or
2: a masterpiece,
1: and there's nothing in between.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was told going in that this movie's pretty good. I've been told that, and so I had high expectations. That was another problem going into this movie. So, I don't know. the The Rotten Tomatoes score was very deceptive. I needed to remember Hardcore Henry. Hardcore Henry. That's what I needed to remember before anything else.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on from that to a movie that we all know and love. Uh, it is March Madness time, and we are. I don't know about you guys, but I have the game on in the background, and uh, Michigan is currently beating Florida State. I know it's not going to matter in two or three days when this finally comes out, but I'm just throwing it out there. So we decided there's an anniversary being celebrated. It's not a really great anniversary, but it's the 35th anniversary of possibly the greatest basketball movie ever made, and that is Hoosiers.
2: My boys only know basketball farming in school.
1: A basketball hero around
2: here is treated like a god. You know, most people would kill to
1: be treated like a god just for a few moments. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms,
2: and remember what got you.
1: And so we are talking all things Hoosiers for our deep dive today. And uh, yeah, let's get into this. We always start with trivia. Uh, because we used to do it at the end and then realized that we always spoiled our own questions throughout the throughout the deep dive. So we start with trivia before we start any other conversations. So, Todd, for some reason, you're hosting trivia, and and I feel like I'm going to
0: get trounced massively by this, but we'll see how it goes. So what are we doing? Who's first? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you think you're going to get beat, I guess we can go with you first. Okay. All right. So, so Zach, unplug, or just
1: pop him out. There we go. Zach's gone. All right. All right. I, I, yeah, I do. I do not have much confidence in my, uh, in my. I, I, don't have like a geek's uh, knowledge
0: of this movie.
1: I have, a, I have a, a. Okay. a passive well, knowledge. So.
0: Some of these. Some of these, you should be able to get. It. Okay. Okay. Right. So we have nine questions worth nineteen points. Okay. First one, you probably won't get. Then, uh, what is written on the basketball on the trophy shelf in the first scene? Um, it's uh, oh, it's uh nine. It's like nineteen
1: forty-seven league champs.
0: Uh, it says yeah, county runner-up nineteen forty-nine. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I knew I knew what you were talking about though. Okay, that's good. <laughs> What two classes will uh, Norman Dale have to teach at the school?
1: History and civics.
0: Both are correct. Um, Where did Coach Dale last coach? Um, Coached uh, college ball in Ithaca, New York. That's correct. Uh, How does Shooter describe his suit that he got married in? Hmm. Um, over there. (laughs) I got got a wing dinger. (laughs) I have a suit suit. right over there. (laughs) Well, that's not how he described it. Yes, I mean you you are not wrong. (laughs) Uh, What was Ollie's school presentation about? Oh, um, and the answer is not indoor plumbing. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, was it the Great Depression?
0: No, it was about progress.
1: Progress. Okay.
0: What uh were the two assignments of for positions on the picket fence that sh- that shooter gives?
1: The two assignments for position. It was um, the swingman.
0: Like he... Yeah, and who's, who's the swingman? Oh, who's the swing man? Yeah, who, who, what is yeah? Oh
1: crap! I thought you just meant what? What were the positions that? Oh well, I mean, you should know who 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 takes the shot. Well, Jimmy takes the shot. He does not take the shot. And he man. doesn't take the shot. No, he doesn't take the shot. Who takes? Um, does Cade take the shot?
0: No. No, I'm just okay. Well, so you get a half point for swing man. And what is? Uh, what's the other um... one? At the pick pick man? No. No. So Merle was the swing man and Jimmy was solo right.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, what city were the sectional finals in? Um there's no real reason why you should know this yeah, name. No, Other, I don't, I don't it's in, in Deer Lick. Deer okay. Uh, what flavor gum was the guy uh, who was buddy was guardian chewing? Oh, is it? Oh, gosh. Cinnamon? No, it was dentine. Dentine? That's not a flavor. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what he says it was. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. What movie, directed by a recent Oscar winner, did, uh, beat out Hoosiers for best first feature at the 1986 Independent Spirit Awards? Directed by a recent Oscar winner.
1: Wow. Her best first feature at the indies.
0: That That is a great question. Yeah, I didn't even know this was considered independent spirit, but apparently I had like a $5 million budget.
1: Wow. um, And I have to come up with a movie or the or the film? I guess you
0: could say either. You should know who it is from the movie, though.
1: Um... Re- recent oscar winner for directing doesn't have to be doesn't have gosh dang um uh, five four three
0: peter farrelly no it was spike lee's she's gotta have it wow
1: that's a that is a great question wow okay okay
0: and the last question is worth uh, eight points, and you're going to have to give the numbers for all the players on the roster. <sighs> so, you can start with uh, Strap.
1: Strap is 53. It's forty. Four, Merle. Is it, oh, gosh. Okay. Um, Merle. Someone's 53, so I'll say
0: 53 again. Uh, that is wrong. Well, hey, hold on. I have two written down for the same person or same number. Oh, might have screwed something up. Give me a second.
1: I was almost sure Strap was fifty-three because he, because uh, when he when he uh, goes into the game and he's like praying on the sideline and and Norman says God wants you to be in the game. He goes okay, in yeah, and he has a pump fake layup and it's okay, 53 on right.
0: back. Yeah, he's 53. Yeah. Okay, so Merle.
1: Okay, uh, Merle. Okay, oh, I get another shot of Merle then. 31.
0: Uh, he's 12. 12, okay. Buddy.
1: Buddy is 10. 14. Mm, okay. Jimmy. Jimmy's 15. That's correct. Uh, Ollie. Ollie's 11. 13. Gosh dang it. Raid. Raid is uh twenty-five.
0: That's correct. Uh Everett. Everett. That's uh shooter's son.
1: Okay, okay. Um thirty five. Twenty one. Twenty one. And wit. Wait. see i i knew if there was anything where i had to actually know what put the names the faces i was going to be in trouble um
0: wit i'm gonna say was 42 oh he was 43 that was the one i, ah, I was all so right. close so you got six and a half bring zach back Wait, he has been gone for a while
1: he, he has been gone for a while
0: all right all right here we go
1: all
0: right Okay, there are nine questions worth 19 points. Terry got six and a half. All right. Question number one. What is written on the basketball on the trophy shelf in the first scene? No clue. County runner-ups, 1949.
2: I at least had an idea.
0: What two classes will Normandale have to
2: teach? Civics and social studies. Civics and history. History, yeah. So, same same thing.
0: Not well, not quite. Uh, that's one point. Okay, where will where did Coach Dale last coach? Uh, Ithaca. That's correct. How does Shooter describe his suit that he got married in? Wing dinger. A wing dinger. I still think I'm I get a,
1: I, I still think I should get a half a point because I said he described it as over there. Because <laughs> <laughs> he says I got a suit right over there.
2: Okay, he's, got a, what, he's got a point there.
0: I know. I, I was tempted to give him a half point. He might need it. <laughs> Maybe um, like
2: a quarter point.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, what was Ollie's school presentation about? Indoor plumbing? It's not about indoor plumbing. That's what it says at the end. Pro- Progress, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll let you have that point because I, I had to tell Terry it's not about indoor he, he plumbing.
1: Get, yeah, he, he said <laughs> he followed it up with it's not indoor plumbing. So, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Um. What were the two position assignments on the picket fence?
2: I don't know. Um, I don't know. Don't, don't, let, don't watch the paint dry. That's all I know.
0: Merle was a swing man and Jimmy
2: solo right. That sounds right. That also sounds kind of dirty too.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> uh, what city were the sectional finals in?
2: Oh, uh, a deer lick.
0: Oh, that's correct. Wow. Uh, what flavor gum did the guy buddy was what was he chewing that the guy buddy was guarding? I heard that terribly. What? What? What flavor gum was he chewing? Because he 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 asked him, "I want to know what flavor he is," and he tells tells coach eventually what flavor he was chewing.
2: I I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know. You don't. You don't know what he. It's like, That's I want you so close
1: to him, and I want you to movie. be able to tell me what flavor gum he's chewing.
0: And then when he fouls out, he says, a uh, coach looks at him, he's like, so? And, he, and then he says,
2: it was Dentine. Oh, okay. I, uh, I think I tapped out during that scene. I was too, too traumatized from uh, nobody.
0: <laughs> okay. What I actually have he... no
2: recollection of that scene at all. I'll have wow. to go back and look at it. That's sad.
0: Okay, what movie directed by a recent Oscar winner beat Hoosiers for Best First Feature at the 1986 Independent Spirit Awards? This is his
2: best question. This is the best question. Such a Todd question. Uh, It is. Okay, so you're talking, what movie?
0: Yeah, what what movie directed by a recent Oscar winner beat Hoosiers for Best First
2: Feature? Recent Oscar winner? Uh, Uh... Recent Oscar winner—that's that's really trippy. You like you're talking about director or
0: it doesn't, it doesn't have matter to what be category. director. I but the have director a, won an Oscar the,
2: recently. in the last five years. In the last five years, oh gosh, I have no clue. Yeah, um,
0: so such a
1: great question. It's such a great question.
0: She's got to have it. Ah,
2: okay, that is a good question
0: <laughs> because of the answer. Spike Lee,
2: Spike Lee also has uh, something to do with this movie too. Maybe we'll bring him up later, but yes. Uh, yes. Todd should get a point just for that question. <laughs>
0: okay. And the last question is, we are going to go through the players and you're going to tell me what number they are because this is what you did to us on Remember the Titans. <laughs> so what is Straps' number? Keep 50. in mind, you are down six and a half to
2: five. Okay. 52? He is fifty-three. Fifty-three. Uh Merle.
0: Twelve? Twelve is correct. Wow. Wow.
2: Buddy. Uh Buddy is 14.
0: That's correct. Zach is champion. Uh Jimmy. Fifteen. Fifteen is correct. The greatest
2: the champion number of all the champion quarterbacks, especially. What? Who great. Raid, 25.
0: 25 is correct.
2: Ollie. 13. 13 It's correct.
0: Everett. 21. That's correct. <laughs> uh, wit. Oh. <laughs> F- 42. 43. Ah, <laughs> One gosh. off on the two big men. <laughs> Wow. So I'm okay. to six and a half. Man.
1: That was impressive. <laughs> I bow to you. Now My I know word. why we got
0: those questions from Remember the Titans. Because <laughs> that was all Zach paid attention to
2: gosh well let's be honest they're a little hard to tell apart. okay they kind of share the same skin color and the same haircut so you know and there's more <laughs> no uh na- last names on any of the jerseys so you gotta go by the number and so when i was even taking notes on this movie i just wrote oh 21 made the free throw or 20 you know, 25 <laughs> punched a guy you know i don't know i it's it, it's hard to remember all their names particularly merle and who's one man? of the most
0: important ones he's a point guard <laughs>
2: What? which what guy is the are you point guard. Strap has like nothing to do with anything. I mean, he, he's he's an inter- he's more inter- he's the only character who's more interesting off the court than he is on the court. Yeah, Strap and Wit are just like random thug big
0: men that they have. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all
0: right.
1: Well, uh Zach wins and Zach's the one that picked this movie for today, so he gets to tell us what uh what Hoosiers is all about and uh and his experience with
2: it. Well, I mean, a lot of people consider Hoosiers to be the greatest—not just the greatest basketball movie, but also the greatest sports movie of all time. It's come up in countless conversations. It's a part of the, you know, collective, you know, uh, language about sports movies. It's a Hoosiers type movie, underdog story. When you think basketball, I, I mean, I uh, you know, ev- inevitably every movie about basketball, particularly high school or college basketball, gets compared to Hoosiers. We did it last year with that Ben Affleck movie. God, I'm blanking on the name of it way right back. now. Wait, the Way Back. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, and, and we know we all know Todd's love of Gene Hackman movies and uh this is a movie that is 35 years old and of course it is a perfect time to re- re- look back at this movie in the midst of march madness and uh yeah it's it's an awesome movie is it the best sports movie ever i don't know i it's it's flawed in some ways that we'll talk about on this podcast but i t- anytime i think of you know sports indiana basketball all i hear is da 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 Da, 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 da. And I'm I'm doing that pretty horribly, but that uh, that is, is an iconic movie, one of the great uh, uh, classic sports movies of the 80s, of which there are many.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think it also is quite fitting the fact that, you know, we're we're watching March Madness take place at Hinkle Fieldhouse and uh, and uh, yeah. Hoosiers in the state championship game is in Hinkle Fieldhouse. I mean, that's just that's just cool. Todd you're you're the uh you're the basketball player of the group so uh so tell us tell us what you love about Hoosiers
0: Uh, oh I mean I I do think it's probably the best sports movie ever um the first time I watched it was actually at an overnight basketball practice in like seventh grade or sixth grade it might have been sixth grade and uh, I I I loved it from the moment I first saw and I've seen it you know dozens of times now it's uh it's the perfect underdog story really and um it uh it takes a true story loosely and it turns it into something that has become completely iconic and I I think I mean I don't know. I mean it yeah, it's it's a great Gene Hackman performance, it's a great Dennis Hopper performance. It's got one of the most memorable scores of any movie that I have ever heard. And uh it's I, I, I just love everything about it. It's the basketball scenes don't look, don't look fake. It looks like these guys can actually ball, even though I know most of them couldn't and uh, that, that's a credit to a director who apparently was making his first movie.
1: Yeah, I feel like what makes this one such a great movie, a uh, great sports movie is almost more than any other movie, it seems to get its sport. Like it 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 understands the sport and shows it throughout everything that it that it does. Um I I've I've loved this movie for a while, simply because I've been told I'm supposed to love it. But I'm i at some point I was like, I don't know if I necessarily get it. And I hadn't seen it in a while. And honestly, I think this might have been the first time I've seen Hoosiers start to finish, like concentratedly sat down to watch it since I coached basketball and watching it now as a as a coach. I have a whole new appreciation for it and I love this movie and I get the greatness of it having been on that side of it and seeing what Normandale does and what, and, and just kind of how he handles things. It's like, Oh man, I could have done that. Or I, as <laughs> I, I get, I get the Normandale character so much more um, having been on the bench and coaching, coaching guys and having that idea of, we're going to do what we're going to do because it's the right way to play, not necessarily the way that's going to win. And, um, and that I, I commend him for, and it makes him one of the greatest like movie coaches of all time is just that idea that we're going to stick to our guns because if we do it the right way, as best we can, it's going to be great. And, uh, and yeah, so I I I originally had this at three and a half, and I look back at it, and I'm giving it four now because it I felt I feel like it it does it so so well, and uh, it shows the coaching side of things, and then also just understands the game. It's talking about so much
2: better than almost any other sports movie. Yeah, you know what's kind of interesting about this movie, watching it again, I hadn't watched it in quite a while, is I've. I focus less on the basketball aspects of this movie and more on the kind of cultural aspects. And one of the ways that this movie has been criticized is that, oh, it's racist. I mean, there are no black characters in the movie, and the only black characters in the movie are at the end of the movie, and they're the big kind of Goliath team and, you know, whatever. Spike Lee has criticized this movie on those grounds. But I think what's actually more interesting than the racial dynamic, I mean, obviously, you know, this was, you know, Cornfield, Indiana in the 1950s. They didn't have black players. I think what's more interesting is the dynamic between the city and the country and the fact that the townspeople have this really rigid way of understanding culture and life and relationships in this really inbred community. And then they have this outsider come in who, you know, was donning a leather jacket and he has this mysterious past and he's from New York and he's trying to instill a very different mindset than what the people in the town are used to. And I think that's a dynamic that is really interesting and relevant in 2021. It's also interesting and relevant in the sense that this movie is about tradition, tradition, versus modernity. And this movie is all steeped in tradition, right? It feels like a movie that probably could have been made in the 1950s. And it's very nostalgic for this idea of a small town America. But at the same time, it kind of recognizes that the small town America is also really rigid, and maybe uh, has, you know, uh, uh, preconceptions about what, uh, you know, a, a big city coach represents and these fears are very kind of localized and i don't know i thought it was really kind of that that almost to me almost superseded the basketball qualities of this movie and i think in 2021 it's definitely like a sort of a red state blue state type movie i wouldn't necessarily go that far maybe i'm reading a little too much into it but like the whole notion of you know for example the idea that coach dale is trying to instill more of a collective mindset of the players and passing the ball instead of just, you know, uh, everybody shooting, right? He's always talking about the fundamentals of the game, right? And and doing these practices that none of which even involve shooting. And that totally goes against what the individualistic mindset of this small town community, Indiana has believed for, you know, time, in, you know, forever. But I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into the movie, but I feel like it's a movie that is very much about you know the collective community of hickory versus the big city right and that's a that's a that's a, a struggle and a tension that's in a lot of movies but that really came through for me this time maybe more so than ever before
1: well i think there's definitely always i, I think in every culture there's a well this is how we've always done things and this is how we need to continue to do things and and, and you're talking about it there i kind of thought i i thought about um nebraska football hiring bill callahan and taking an option team and instituting the west coast offense i'm mean, like that's not how we do things here mm-hmm. and that's kind of it's kind of a similar similar thing that happened there but i think it's i i you might i think you might be reading a little too much into it going going the full political route there but i think it's more more
0: or less just the yeah because we know, still the, needed the guy <laughs> he was he did. fired if Matt, if they if jimmy wasn't there and well, he that's was the, the one guy who that he doesn't necessarily bring the team together, which is which is another thing.
1: On the team. Which is another thing as a coach, I totally understand too, because I I've looked at teams that I've coached before and be like, man, if I just had this one guy who could do this <laughs> that I'm missing,
2: man, my team would be that this much better. Well, that's just what, that one piece, and that's what makes the movie dramatically rich. That was the best part of the movie, which is that Co- Norman Dale's approach to basketball. Fails, right? He abandons the whole four pass bullshit, you know, uh, standard that uh, he he requires of them. Like his philosophy is kind of a bad philosophy. He call he he's calling a terrible play at the end of the championship game. I mean, he learns from the players too. I I think that the movie kind of shows that both both sides of that equation are flawed in in ways, and you know, it's it, it's not in a way that is overtly obvious. Um, I mean, there are a lot of corny moments in this movie, but it's also very much about this kind of relationship between Jimmy and the coach that kind of goes back and forth a little bit. I don't know. It was just, to, to me, it was, the, the, you know, and, and, and the, the the townspeople are so horrible in this movie. I hate all of them. Um, but, uh, you know, that that's what makes uh, basketball fun. And I'm sure as a coach, Terry, you can recognize uh, these parents that uh, don't do not know when to call it quits. That has to be the worst part about coaching.
1: It's it sometimes can be, can be difficult. Yeah. I don't think he abandons his philosophy at all. I think he gets Jimmy because he Jimmy understands what he's doing and Jimmy sees that he actually loves the game and knows the game and is, is not all about, he's not all about winning. He's about doing it the right way. And, um, and yeah, the, the last play of the game, the last play of the last game is Jimmy is able to speak into that because of the trust they've built up over the season. And and when you call a play, you're not going to be passing four times in a play with 20 seconds left. That's not.
2: But, but using I get, Jimmy as a decoy. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, but, a great idea.
1: Well, but mural well, had,
2: had a clutch gene in him, though.
1: I get that call though. I get that call too. Yeah, he was and... co- he
0: was coaching it when sometimes you got the guy. You're just like, okay, we need to let him make the play. I mean that that's that's what yeah. the NBA is now. It's like you need to just ISO him and let him do it because he's better than our team is.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, but which I will say though, um, I this was gonna I was gonna bring this up when we got to flaws. Um, Jimmy has no move when he makes that last shot. I mean. It's like a a He's lucky he got the shot off. It's like a stupid crossover where his feet didn't even move. Like he had no lateral movement in that in that play at all. It was just a little dribble dribble shoot and and that was it. Yeah. He he is lucky he got that shot off, for sure. For sure. Uh all right. Well, let's uh let's get into um we didn't even mention the Oscars. This did get two Oscar nominations. Dennis Hopper and uh and then, uh, original score, which we've already talked about that the iconic score that came out of this movie. But, um, but let's get into some of the stuff we're going to be talking about here. And the first thing we're going to look at is, uh, oh, I completely forgot that. Remind me, I have something I want to say before the end of the podcast. Ooh, uh, a comment that was left it's on exciting. one of our YouTube videos that I forgot to mention. I was going to mention it at the top and I forgot. Uh, okay. Um, basketball movie mount rushmore that's what we're going with here um are we gonna say this is our consensus yeah okay okay this is our consensus uh so we're each gonna submit one um gosh this is gonna be really interesting okay i think i think i'm gonna go first now, do I take the low-hanging fruit? <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it, and I'm Are gonna we go with some documentaries. That uh, was that, I, that's question. I will
0: consider that a different category.
1: Okay. All right. So, if we're considering it a different category, then that means we can't pick hoop dreams.
0: Hoop dreams or Lenny Cook, the Safti Brothers. Doc, okay. practice.
1: So let's let's leave documentaries off then. So no hoop dreams and no and no Lenny Cook. Okay. Or any 30 for 30. <laughs> right. Can't pick the you can't, last dance. Yeah, you can't pick the last dance. Or Reggie Miller, Reggie Miller versus or... the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, uh, I'll go first. And I realized... I realized looking at this that um, I have some huge blind spots when it comes to basketball films. One. And two... Uh, the great ones I have watched, it's been so long since I've watched them. I don't really remember that much about them. So that's that, that kind of puts me at a disadvantage, which is one of the reasons I'm going first. So I can pick one that I know. I, I remember a lot about. I know I love it's kind of a horrible movie, but I don't really care. I love it anyway. I'm going space jam. Um, it, it's nice. you, you gotta throw space jam on there. I mean, it's Michael Jordan acting Kind of. I mean, he's trying to. Um, Reggie Miller's not white. Reggie's clear. Um, Bill Murray Larry. coming. What? Oh, Larry Bird. Larry Bird's not white. Larry's clear. Why did I say Reggie? Good grief. I don't know, I don't know either. <laughs> Reggie definitely but, um, isn't white. <laughs> yeah, Reggie's not white either. Larry's not white. Larry's clear. And then you have. Uh, and then you have Bill Murray coming in for the for the final ten seconds of the game.
0: He better show um, up in the new one.
1: I know Yes, he should. He should. I didn't know Dan Aykroyd was in this picture. Um, but then you've got, you've got some great, uh, NBA, uh, legends in there. You got Patrick Ewing. You've got Charles Barkley, Muggsy Bogues, uh, Larry Johnson and Sean Bradley. And, uh, I hope Sean Bradley has a, is doing all right. He, it was just announced that he had, had a, an accident and is now paralyzed. But, um, it's just a fun movie, and it's ridiculous. And seeing the Looney Tunes playing basketball, it's just ridiculous. But it's so much fun. There's a reason they're making another one because everybody loves Space Jam. So my submission is Space Jam.
2: All right, we're going. Uh, we're going Zach next. What's your submission? Well, the documentary thing really messed me up. I was actually. Gonna, <laughs> I, I was so proud of myself. I was. Gonna, I was going to pick The Last Dance and be like, "Oh, I'm going unconventional," but uh, ruined it, man. That's not a movie, though. Yeah, I guess not. I was also—is this yet another list that we have to exempt uncut gems? I mean, I totally consider that a basketball movie. You like, could. It's close, but it's you, close.
1: But I think, yeah, I think it, I think we're disqualifying uncut gems
2: because okay. it's uncut
1: gems. I would All say right. be, more because it's uncut gems than it being a basketball movie.
2: I I could go along with it being a basketball. Movie. It's a 100% a basketball movie, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I also have some major blind spots for basketball movies. I just, I almost want to lie and say I've seen White Men Can't Jump just to put it on the list, but I've never seen it. I feel bad about that. Um, so that's I, one
1: that I, I think I've seen, but it's been so long that I remember very little about yeah, it. Yeah,
2: I should get assigned that at some point. I've seen the Rosie Perez scenes when she's on Jeopardy, and based on that alone, I want to put that on this list. But anyway, <laughs> I have to go with uh, The Way Back. I, th- I That movie has grown on me. I think it is a really solid, strong movie. And I don't think there's a great deal of uh, representation of high-quality basketball movies. I think Blue Chips is kind of a terrible movie. Um, Love and Basketball is okay. Um, uh, he Got Game I've always actually thought was a little bit overrated. Um, and there's a few others out there. I, I, Space Jam I saw as a kid. I can't really put that on the list. The Way Back is a movie that I thought did a, actually re-listen re- listen to our podcast ago because that was a fun one where we were both we were all speculating about the end of the world and the pandemic but at the same time we had a really good conversation about that movie which is that you know is it a realistic portrayal of basketball well maybe not so much but maybe the movie's more interested in this character who has demons that he's fighting and that i think makes ben affleck compelling as a as an actor in it and it makes the scenes of him coaching and then losing his shit really compelling as well uh, and, you know, I'll always asso- we'll always associate that movie with the pandemic. So why not? I, If I'm being honest, I like that movie, you know, it's been in my head for a while. I think it's a strong, solid movie. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Definitely an unconventional thing. If, if we can't go with documentaries, we should just do a Mount Rushmore basketball documentaries. I think we have all four right now. But I, I think so, yeah. Fun. Yeah. All right. Well, Todd, what do you got?
0: Okay, well this didn't go the way I was expecting. <laughs> uh well, the pro okay. I have these like fringe basketball movies like The Basketball Diaries and Wolves, which is a great Michael Shannon movie that about him like being a, like a addicted to sports gambling and his son plays called high school basketball. But I don't want to really go with something that's hardly about basketball, but it's basketball's in it. I do love He Got Game and Love and Basketball, but I, I was gonna go, I'll just do it. I, I'm gonna go with semi pro. Because I think that is the the best basketball comedy that there is. And it it really gets shit on a lot. But it's the one basketball comedy that understands basketball. I I feel like the the level of basketball knowledge that movie has far exceeds, like, the level of writing and everything. It's just, like, I don't know. Something about that movie I've always loved. I think it's Will Ferrell's best, like, sports comedy. And he's got, like, six of those. But I think it's his best one. And I wasn't going to go with a comedy because Terry went with a comedy. But uh, I, th- I think Semi Pro is the best basketball comedy there is.
1: So, so we're we're not going with White Men Can't Jump. We're going with Woody Harrelson's Return to the
2: Floor in
0: yes, Semi Pro. Exactly. Okay. Woody Harrelson and Andre Benjamin.
2: So we're going with a movie uh, with Looney Tunes, a movie about alcohol addiction, and a movie with Will Ferrell. I feel like we're avoiding basketball, but maybe that <laughs> those, those are
0: actual basketball movies. See, I mean, Love and Basketball, and He Got Game. Apparently, you don't like, so I, I mean, I don't know. Never I, seen I either pay. of those,
1: by the way. I've never seen Love and Basketball. Got, I've never seen He Got seen Game. He got at the game. top
0: five Spike Lee movie. Oh uh, no, it's not. At the. Wolves. The last year I I with Wolves, but Wolves is hardly a basketball movie, but it's got
1: basketball in it. See, I don't really remember White Men Can't Jump. I've never seen Love and Basketball. I've never seen He Got Game. Um. I don't remember a whole lot about Coach Carter.
0: That's another one that a yeah, lot of Coach people say. Glory Road are just kind of lame. I've never
1: seen Glory Road. Um, Finding Forrester is another one that popped up on some list that I was looking at. Um, I thought about Blue Chips, but I barely remember anything about that. If I was yeah. going to go something in kind of the same vein as Space Jam, like Mike, with a little Bow Wow. And yeah, I that a lot Jesse Clemens. Yep, Jesse Plemons as like a twelve-year-old kid. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, he was he was the the villain as the uh, yeah the the twelve-year-old orphan.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the girl bully. in that is actually what the girl is it Brenda Song? Is that the girl in it? Like the girl is actually a, a legit actress now too. I don't I don't know.
0: It's been a long time, Terry. You gotta look
2: this up. Okay. All Todd, right. Have you seen the movie Drive? He said. Isn't that about a basketball player? The Jack Nicholson movie? I mean, it's about, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I've never seen it, but I've been intrigued by it. Also by the fact that Jack Nicholson was, you know, runner up for this role in Hoosiers. But not a lot of basketball movies prior to Hoosiers. That's probably one of the reasons it gets so remembered because in some ways it almost legitimized basketball. Um, Well, I mean, it's just the thing.
0: Like sports movies, I'm a tough critic because I don't think that there are many great sports movies that actually get the sport, and the basketball is one that they, it really is hard to find a good basketball movie. Football is the same way. Baseball movies, there's a million. There's a million good baseball movies. Basketball not so much.
1: Okay, so uh, I got it here. So yeah, the the the, the Friends, so Lil Bow is the main character, and the Friends of the movie are Jonathan Lipnicki and Brenda Song, who is a legit actress. She was in The Social Network. She was in a few episodes, or she was in an episode of The League. She was in a few episodes of New Girl, Scandal. Uh, she's she's kind of been around. Uh,
0: yeah, I remember her in and, a Social Network
2: that
1: and Jonathan kind of... Lipnicki, and, and then the girlfriend. bad guy is Jesse Plemons,
0: and uh, yeah, and and Morris man.
1: Chestnut is the, is the is the is the star player, and the coach is
0: Robert Forster. Wow, wait, who's the who's the main bad guy though? It's the who's his name, the guy from Back to the Future? And oh christian glover yeah christian glover there you go
1: yeah <laughs> he finds a pair of michael jordan's shoes and can play it's, it's more like rookie of the year for basketball is really what it is
0: all right so our mount rushmore is a train wreck yeah it is i, I blame it that is. on zach because he chose <laughs> the weird choice
2: i blame both of you documentaries would have been these documentaries are far better than any of these choices yeah Lenny Cook and Hoop Dreams are the two best, other than Hoosiers. The uh, Allen Iverson documentary is amazing. All right. And uh, Allen Iverson,
1: that was Steve James too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've got got Hoosiers. We've got Space Jam. We've got The Wayback. And we've got Semi-Pro. I'll go with it. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Well, then let's get into recasting. Recasting Hoosiers thirty five years later. This was kind of this was kind of difficult, so I I think we we collectively agreed on four, and then um, Zach, I think you were going to try and recast the entire uh, the entire lineup as NBA players. So
2: yes, I can do that right now. By the way, because they're all the same player, and that player is JJ Redick. <laughs> no, no, even no. strap. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I, they all look the same. I told you. I can't really distinguish them apart. But Everett looks a little different because he looks like he's about 35 years old. Anyway, that's we're getting off topic. Let's, <laughs> let's go back to real recasting. Okay. Well, let, let's, let's start with
1: Coach Norman Dale, uh, originally played by Gene Hackman.
2: Uh, let's see here. Let's go with Zach first. Uh, to me, there was only one answer for this. So, uh, By the way, a low-key, well, we'll talk about this in a second, but, but very hard performance to recast if you think about it, particularly in 1986. Gene Hagman's kind of the perfect uh, uh, actor for that role. You have to be someone who's intimidating. You have to walk in wearing a leather jacket and being in the Navy. You have to intimidate people, but you also have to have some vulnerabilities as well and some blind spots in your past. I went with Joel Edgerton. I mean, you know, okay. he's going to he's going he's, he's gonna to whip him into shape and, you know, it, the townspeople will listen to him and he can wear a leather jacket and, and get away with it. How many people join the Navy
0: when they're like 50 <laughs> and then are in there till they're 60?
1: <laughs> well, I was looking at it. This is supposed to take place in what, 51? Yeah, that means World War Two. I mean, if you think about it, that, that he, he joined for he joined.
2: He's been in the Navy for 10 years. That means he joined right after Pearl Harbor. Well, and if you, I looked up what chief petty officer is, and apparently it's a very high ranking role in the military. So like he succeeded at the military level, which is impressive. It's still an enlisted role though. Is it? Which means, which means he was,
1: he was coaching in college without a college degree. That's a no, no. That's an that's an interesting flaw. I just thought of, I hadn't realized that. All right, Todd, who's your, who's your Norman?
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean yeah it's it's not easy to do mainly I, I picked one just because I kind of wanted to see him see him play a coach at one point and that's Bill Burr. i th- I think he could he could absolutely be that kind of authoritarian coach figure. I think it'd be fun to
2: watch. I'd watch it. It's not a bad pick. I mean it would it would require it requires intimidation, you know and I don't know I, I saw bits of that in your favorite movie, King of Staten Island i it's possible. Yeah,
1: what made this tough, like you said, it, it, he's kind of perfect, Gene Hackman for for this role because he's got to he's got to feel like he uh like he knows what he's talking about when he's talking about basketball, but at the same time be that no nonsense that no nonsense guy, and so I was like, this this can't be like one of the Brits coming over and and uh, pulling this off. It's got to be. It it's got to be like an all American guy. Um, I had a couple guys. I actually have three names written down, and then I'll say the two like runners up, and then I'll say my main one. But my runners up were Christopher Maloney from uh, Law and Order, and uh, and Neil McDonough. Uh, I thought I thought he'd be he'd be a good one too. But my the one I'm going with is Kiefer Sutherland.
0: Yeah, is is he too old at this point now? Even.
1: I, so I always look at I always look at ages. That's what I go by. And and
0: but Gene Hackman was, was fifty six.
1: He, he was fifty six when he did this. And and Kiefer's like 55, 54, somewhere in there. All these guys are in their mid fifties.
2: So that's what I was going with. Someone, someone that fit that. You know who would have been great in like the early nineties? Would have been Bob Hoskins. That's my yeah. early nineties recasting. That'd be a good one. Be a good one. I think you got to be a little pudgy. I kind of like I like his I like his girth. I think Keeper Sutherland might be a little too svelte. I think you have to be like fifteen to twenty pounds overweight. Overweight. I, like yeah, I, like, I
1: like his good girth. Yeah, I like his girth. Okay, next we have uh, we have Mira Fleener, Mrs. Myra Fleener. Myra, 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 Myra. 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 I just was looking at the name. It's Myra, played by Barbara Hershey. Zach, who do you have?
2: I went with Jessica Chastain. This is a boring role. I don't have anything interesting to offer. I'm sorry. I Todd gets works. mad at me when I get too, uh, you know, when I go too out there. So I'll, I'll keep it conservative for now.
1: That works. Todd, who do you have?
0: Uh, Rebecca Hall. I mean, it's similar to Zach. It's, I mean, it's pretty much the same, the same idea. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I love Barbara Hershey. I mean, she she gave one of the best performances of that year in Hannah and Her Sisters. But this is just kind of a yeah. It's sort of a it doesn't show off what she can do. Yeah, this is definitely a low bore performance. Um, I uh,
1: I went with Haley Atwell, kind of in a similar similar vein. Is just it it just needs to be a, a somewhat somewhat pretty girl next door teacher type of type of person. All right, shooter. The Oscar-nominated role by Dennis Hopper. His only Oscar nomination. Well, he I, I was looking. He's got two. One, oh, for the me. other one was for writing Easy Rider.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: But, um, Zach,
2: who's your shooter? Uh, this was a very hard one to come up with, even though it's a pretty easy role. I think we can make fun of the whole Oscar-nominating you know, the alcoholic in the comeback role. And listen, okay, we're talking about character actors. We're talking about someone with a star pedigree, maybe someone who's been nominated for an Oscar before and should have won before. And someone who's played a drunk a few times in movies before, and we know him and we love him. And that is the one and only Mr. Thomas Hayden Church. I I want THC comeback to begin with re- Imagining the shooter role, and he can do it. Uh, He was a great drunk in that Killer Joe movie with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Like he he could do he could do this in his sleep. You know, this is the type of role Dennis Hopper did in his sleep, and he got an Oscar nomination. Let's let's bring back THC, and let's give him another nomination that he'll lose unfairly.
0: I want to hear him say Wing Dinger.
2: Yes. (laughs) Uh, All right, Todd. Who do you have?
0: Uh, I went with Adam Sandler. Because, I mean, it, he can play basketball, as we know. And uh, it's uh, I, I, I think it'd be interesting to see him try to be that kind of supporting character where he he actually has to display some sort of dramatic emotions. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it'd be a, a fun to watch him. Plus, I think this is a great Nicolas Cage role. <laughs> yeah. That, to that, question. <laughs> that, that is totally what I what I have written
1: down, too, is, of who could Nicolas Cage play, and I said Shooter. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I I went in kind of a similar direction. Um, but one of the things I was thinking of is I want a guy who actually looks like he could have been a basketball player, and and Dennis Hopper. I don't know. Not so much. Not so much. So I went with Vince
0: Vaughn. Oh, that's not bad. I like I that see pick. It. He was in a later David Anspaugh movie, <laughs> Rudy. Oh gosh, that was the same director. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Man, that was a
2: the
0: same guy? <laughs> a significantly worse movie. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. Now, uh, we did say uh, Jimmy Chitwood. We were going to recast. I don't really know how we were going to recast him, but let's
2: go he with it. He was
0: mid-20s
2: when he did this. So. yeah. Zach, who do you have? I went with Algie Smith. Uh, he plays um, McKay on Euphoria, and he was also in uh, uh, he was in most recently in Judas and Black Messiah. Although I don't remember him in that movie, he was also in Detroit and The Hate You Give. Um, he plays an athlete in Euphoria. I think we got to make Jimmy Black in the twenty twenty one version. And um, in nineteen fifty one. So we're well, in nineteen fifty one. Well, in... it, listen, I you know maybe take just the, the the structure of the story and let's move it to you know nineteen seventy one Newport News, Virginia. You know, with her coach Herman Boone or something. Like, let's make it a little bit more you know, dynamic, but uh, I like Algie Smith. I think he's really good on that show on uh, on Euphoria.
0: All right, Todd. I went with like probably the best young celebrity basketball player, which is Justin Bieber.
2: I think he could carry the team. That's a horrible pick. Why? <laughs> well, I mean, Jimmy is not about the glamour, shall we say. Jimmy's not really when we get to our stickman category, I feel like Jimmy's going to be lacking a bit and I think Bieber well, I represents yeah, everything. Bieber probably that... has many tattoos. <laughs> exactly, I think he he represents everything against everything that Jimmy stands for.
0: Oh, I mean, but the, yeah, but you you guys were recasting Shooter the same way,
2: <laughs> and don't you think it's too distracting too? I, I mean, it this movie might
1: be, it might be distracting having someone like Bieber in there.
2: It might be Bill Burr and Bieber. I mean. Is Judd Apatow directing this movie? That's my question. I don't All know. right. I well, mean, uh, well, I took I took Jimmy as I I
1: wasn't going to come up with a decent one, so I came up with uh, the uh, the NBA player that is Jimmy Chitwood, and I think I think it's kind of undeniable that that the that the modern day Jimmy Chitwood is Gordon Hayward. I mean, that's just. I mean, he's from Indiana. Mm. He's just kind of the natural. He played his home games in Hinkle,
0: in college. Maybe like a Doug McDermott.
2: Yeah, that's a little better. I don't think of Gordon Hayward as a pure shooter. I don't
0: know. I don't know. I, I, it's not bad. I mean, I appreciate the thought.
1: Yeah. I mean, he is Jimmy. That that's just he's the he's the backwoods Indiana. He's got the hair. Indiana guy, and he's got the hair. He uh, uh, it's, Let's face it. <laughs> is Gordon Edwards from Indiana? I think so. I'm assuming yeah, so, because he played in a Indianapolis. Brother. Born in Indianapolis?
0: Yeah.
1: And then went to college in Indianapolis.
0: He's 31, so he's only a little bit older than the guy who played Jimmy Chitwood.
1: There you go. There you go. Alright, well, yeah. I've, is it safe to say that all of us would say that, um, that Nicholas Cage would play Shooter?
0: Yeah, well, he could have played any of the players in 1986. But... Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Shooter for sure. All right. Highest yeah. war performance, Todd. I mean, I guess I'll go Gene Hackman. I mean, that's like we said, it, it, it's it's a hard one to redo. He, I mean, all of his characters leading up to that point, you would never think that you'd necessarily be a coach. But when he steps on the, the court, you're like, okay, this guy's in charge. Everything about him—I mean, I—that's the, the role I see when I see Gene Hackman. Now, it's—it's it's not any of his many iconic roles, and he has a lot of them. But that one—that was the one I still see. And I, I, I its hard to imagine anyone else doing what he did to Normandale. Not even Bill Burr.
1: <laughs> All right, I'll go next. Uh, I said, I said, uh, Jimmy Chitwood is—is is the highest work. I mean, because that guy was just perfect. The guy was perfect for that role. Uh, Do we just, have his name? Yeah, what was his name? Maris. Get his name. Maris yeah. <clears throat>
0: Maris Valinas, Yep.
1: Yeah, a very memorable name, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, he—he's just this unassuming kid uh, that has this innocent look to him, yet he can shoot the ball. Like the scene where where. Norman's out talking to him in the backyard. I mean, how many in a row does he hit in an un, unbroken shot? And that they they had to just be like, all right, let's just roll a camera and see how it goes. And he kept on making
0: over and over and over and over again. And he's got I'll a shot them were that, bank shots too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and he's got a shot that that you look at and say, yeah, he knows what he's doing. And uh, so that that's hard to find. And and it was it was such a perfect casting that I'm gonna go with him.
2: Zach? Yeah, I can't go with that because he's as great of a basketball player as you say, and I agree with all that. I think he less he leaves a little something left to be desired in the acting department, which is why he has what four lines in the movie? I think he has <laughs> I think he has fewer lines than Tom Hardy in Mad Max, okay? So, like, the, the acting chops, you know, maybe, uh, you know, we, that, that, that worsens his case a little bit. But it is kind of interesting looking at the players on this team in the movie, many of whom were, you know, from Indiana. And so I decided to go uh, with uh, Wade Scheck, who played Ollie. And I don't know if you guys have seen the article that ESPN put out a few years ago about um, they interviewed all the actors and they talked about their roles like 20 years later, 30 years later or whatever. And um, Wade Sheck is is my favorite. He says that um, he only auditioned for the role so that uh, he wouldn't have to work the farm for Harvest. (laughs) And then and then he also says later in the interview that their last question was, where would the players be today? And uh, he says that Ollie would be right where I am today on the back of a tractor. If that's not a high-war performance, what is? I mean, this guy lived the life of Ollie. He also looks like he looks like a short kid on a basketball team. I mean, really, that's actually a really hard, probably, role to cast. Well,
0: right? But if you research him even more, apparently he was like a really high-level high school basketball player. And so he was cast because he knew how to play basketball, but he was playing the guy who couldn't. So he said it was really hard. That's why he shot the underhand at free throws is because he couldn't miss free throws necessarily on purpose, so he had to shoot it in a way that he had to miss it.
2: Yeah, the other thing I love about that in that article is that the casting director told him to do that. Apparently, the casting director, first of all, had a lot of say on set for some reason and also knew nothing about basketball. So, great casting director.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about saying him for highest war too, just because I I think it's awesome that they they cast a good player to play a guy that doesn't know how to play and, <laughs> and made it super awkward because when he's like I'm not too good or something like that and and then they all like laugh at him. It's almost like they were actually laughing at, like like yeah, you're the best player that is on this court
2: right now. But <laughs> he also looks like a high schooler. I mean, that's uh, the one of the criticisms of the players. Sure. Some of them really don't look like high school. He looks like a high schooler. You know, he fits the role really nicely.
1: It's funny, I was gonna have him down I had him down as my worst performance. What? <laughs> and the reason is because it, it his his crappiness on the court is way too forced. Like watching him watching him uh try and be bad on the court, it's way too way too intentional. Are you talking about the semifinal though? Like just in that I'm sequence? talking about any time he has a ball in his hands. <laughs>
0: That's Because he's a good player, he doesn't know how to look bad. with Wait, ball.
1: I, I, did, I didn't. I didn't real. I didn't know that backstory. I hadn't heard that before. So that all makes makes a little more sense. So, uh, so if if that's the case, I'll go with the barber instead. That, that's my
2: that's worst barber. Wow,
1: he's my worst performance. Todd, who's your worst performance?
0: Uh, Scott Summers as Strap. Uh, he just like the whole movie. He's just kind of like smiling. Like he has like no personality, and like w- w- when he delivers that line, he's like, when he said like, what's it got into you?" And He's like, "The Lord, I can feel his strength." It's just so bad. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of got a robot to say it better than that.
2: Yeah, you're being way too hard on him. I think, I think, I think he's fine. <laughs> he's in the he's in the top sixty percent. He's in the top sixty percentile of of the basketball player cast in this movie. Okay. Well uh, Zach, who's your who's your worst performance? I did go with another player and I went with uh David Niedorf as Everett Flesh, which is ironic because he was the only professional actor who, who was on cast as a as a player on the team. First of all, and as I mentioned earlier, I think he looks 35, 40. He's got that kind of Peyton Manning like delivery, like when he says the line, you know, um what you're doing with my dad I, I just don't see it I mean he's a drunk and he'll do something stupid he just sounds old and that is a forced line and uh it just it really it reminds you that you're watching a movie when you shouldn't be reminded of that and it's ironic it, it speaks to the fact that just cast these local kids from Indiana you know don't go to Hollywood why why he also doesn't look at all like Dennis Hopper. I mean, he's like what, three feet taller than him? <laughs> no resemblance.
1: Now, see if it was Vince Vaughn or THC.
0: Yeah, it, it's it, that's more passable. Yeah. Or yeah. Adam Sandler.
1: <laughs> okay, amazing, Larry, Big Tim, High Roller, Todd.
0: Uh, so my favorite is Reverend Doty because, like, uh, he has his. Like, his only real part, other than, like, giving, like, this prayer at the end, he says, like, he's uh, talking to Normandale when he first gets there at, like, a bar or something like that, and he's, like, uh, he's saying something about, like, we need this position to be a God-fearing man and have Christian morals, so, do you believe in a man-to-man or zone defense? And I, <laughs> I, I think that perfectly, like, encapsulates that that town of people. <laughs>
1: Uh, that's a great call. That is a great call. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, my uh amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller is probably also um influenced by the fact that I've coached before. And that is uh Robert Swan as Rollin. Uh this this is Wit's dad. Um, and when um uh, when Wit was being an idiot and just following Buddy out of practice, he brings him back that same day and walks him in there and says you're not going to see any more trouble out of him. And then ends up being his assistant coach later on when the principal uh, has a heart attack and uh and is sitting on the bench uh and is still sitting on the bench even when shooter comes along just in case you know shooter does shooter things. He's he's the best. He's exactly what you want out of a out of a supportive parent of a
0: of a kid on your team. When he also says, "If you have any trouble with my son or Raid, he was already taking he was taking <laughs> ownership over another player too." Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna beat the hell out of either of these guys if they get out of line. <laughs> uh,
1: you go, dude. You go, and then he kicks everybody out of practice for him because everyone's coming is like, "What's going on here?" And he goes, and "He goes, I- Coach, I got it. Get out of here. It's a closed practice. It's perfect. It's perfect." He's my favorite. Zach, how about you?
2: Uh, I went with the Travel Travelers, who are the quartet who sing the national anthem um, at the championship <laughs> right. game. Because apparently they were, I read somewhere that they that scene was not supposed to be in the movie. They They were done filming everything. And so they had extra time on their hands. And so they just asked these guys to come out there and sing. And they were maybe going to use it. And that plays a prominent role in the movie. Like that's 20 seconds of the movie right there. And I really like the name, the Travelers. I love the barbershop quartet look. Uh, you know, I, w- I would like a documentary on them. Maybe like a Christopher Guest style, like, mockumentary about uh, the Travelers and their, their legacy in Indiana basketball. Do they perform the national anthem at every championship game, I wonder? I feel like it.
1: Well, we'll find out next week, I guess. I mean...
2: Yeah. Let's bring <laughs> back the Travelers.
1: I-, I have some conspiracy theories that I might talk about later on about the Travelers. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, it is time for uh, Stickman. Actually, I'm going to talk about it right now because my Stickman for for this movie is one of the Travelers, and yeah. it also is is a slight conspiracy theory. And okay, so you guys may not have noticed this, probably didn't. But all right, the Travelers, it's the Barbershop Quartet, the second one from the left looks like a young drawing. he looks like a young Ernie Johnson <laughs> and i've always thought this <laughs> and so and so I, I he looking at like look up a picture of the travelers and and i'm telling you anybody who's listening look up a picture of this group the barbershop quartet that sings national anthem a second from the left looks like ernie johnson and then later on in the championship game he pops up in the crowd Complaining about a call, sitting next to a girl, and so I'm like, okay, they reuse this extra as as a as just a guy in the crowd too, and like it's a close up of his face. It's like, how are we not going to notice Ernie Johnson popping up twice in the same movie, even though it's not actually him? But I'm I'm like for sure, it's got to be him because it looks just like him.
0: Second Anyways, from the left
1: second from the left, yes,
2: he looks That's like fair. Ernie
1: Johnson, and then we see him later on complaining about a call the refs make. Next to his girlfriend, so I mean, he's a singer. He we know he's got a girl in the crowd. He's my stick man.
0: <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm
1: telling you, it's Ernie Johnson. <laughs> uh, all we needed was Kenny and Charles on the on uh, the South Bend team.
2: <laughs> all right, that, that's what I'm going with. Zach, how about you? Oh, I mean, well, this is uh, a, not exactly a treasure trove of candidates here. Um, I mean, again, Justin Bieber as Jimmy is just insulting in that respect because Jimmy apparently is asexual. All he's interested in is, is improving his game. So uh, not that game, the other game, the actual game. Um, I don't know. Uh, part of me wants to go with Buddy because... Buddy's a jackass. I mean, he's, ta- he's you know, he's uh, t- t- giving crap to the coach and he's like, you know, uh, it has to be one of the players, right? Because they, they are gods on the court. So I feel like Buddy has the nerve to defy uh, the coach in front of him in the fir- within the first 30 seconds of meeting him. That probably means he has no issue going all the way with one of the good, wholesome, hickory, small town girls defying uh strap's father and the clergy curiously enough strap actually had a girlfriend on the set in this movie as i read in the oral history so maybe i should just go with the actor who played strap but uh it, it's it's more interesting to go with uh, buddy plus girl uh, you know girls in high school love jerks right i mean that's just sort of a thing so let's just go with buddy
1: i love the fact that and throughout the course of the movie like we we see when wit comes back Buddy just
2: randomly shows up. Again. Oh,
1: yeah. I have no idea. Where <laughs> theory.
0: I, I wrote it's that
2: down. Conspiracy too. theory. Absolutely. We need to talk about that.
0: I love how he's just randomly back. I mean, and like just, a great. very important cog in their <laughs> defensive machine.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's it's pretty great. It's pretty great. All right, Todd, who's your stick man?
0: Well, I mean, I wrote down Buddy and Raid for the same reason Zach did because he because they're, they're assholes. And, you know, in high school, that's what gets the girls. But I, I I could say Normandale in it to an extent because he ends up he does end up getting the girl and I think he probably could have had her mom as well because you know <laughs> she was way more into him than Myra was so <laughs> Normandale <stick> man.
2: <laughs> he does have the chivalry when he's getting those corn husks on the tractor trailer or whatever yeah I yeah it's it, yeah I mean what I was gonna say is it's very slim pickings in this movie because you have the school marm, the school mom's mother and then the nurse at the rehab place. I mean that's that's a real, you know, that's that's a powerhouse uh, of stick men, uh, you know, uh assets right there. Just amazing. Amazing lineup.
1: I like my pick of Vernie Johnson. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Uh Zach, who's the Billy Bags douchebag? Billy Bat's douchebag.
2: Well, the douchebag in this movie is pretty obvious, and I actually, I meant to say that I uh, it is the character of George, played by Chelsea Ross, and um, uh, now he's not the cop, right? The cop is no. a different character. Okay, different. I was going to say, the cop would have to be recast as Sam Rockwell today, but George, I feel like <laughs> Sam Sam Rockwell could also play the character of George, um, and Bob Odenkirk Dual roles. Could. There we go, perfect. <laughs> Um, But George is the guy that runs the practice uh, and, you know, thinks he owns the team and he has that great line about, well, mister, there's a, there's two types of dumb in this world, guy that gets naked and runs out in the snow and barks out in the moon. And it's like, this movie is very colorful in its language, especially in the first 30 minutes. But, uh, you know, he's just a, a, a total dickwad. And uh, his scrimmages, by the way, look like nothing. Like, he's just standing there while they just kind of have chaotic, you know, shoot at the shoot at the hoop. I mean, it, it's, that's not a scrimmage, dude. You're just kind of s- supervising it. What, so what's who, your is, who is George? Like, he, yeah. I don't think he's a teacher un- he, un- un- he unhealthy he a interest. Because, I mean, he's hosting
0: the practice and he's at every game. Like, he's got to be somebody, right? But I don't think he's a teacher. I don't think he's a parent. Who the hell is this guy?
1: (laughs) Maybe the mayor, because he also runs the, the, like the meeting that kick that is going to
2: dismiss him. And then he has the nerve to smile. He has the nerve to smile when Jimmy elects to come back to the team. It's like, really? I mean, you're, you're so two-sided, man. That's lame. Also. Okay. Well, I had another, well, I'll talk about later. Go, go ahead. Someone else.
1: Okay. I had written down George too. And, and I think, you, first off, um, you you mentioned the practice he's running, and as a coach, a three on three scrimmage when you're actually trying to get like five on five like concepts down is pointless and stupid and useless. So, uh, yeah, what Norman does simply because he doesn't have ten guys is much more effective than what he did. So for that alone, his his level of stupidity about the game of basketball is is unchecked in the entire movie but then the thing that makes him the douchiest is you can obviously tell that after after norman is told that they're going to have a meeting on whether or not they're going to remove him and he's got one game left to prove it you can obviously tell that george paid off the ref to kick him out of the game as soon as he said one word he just had to say anything and the ref was going to kick him out of the game and uh because he's sitting back there like they he gets kicked out and the next shot you see is george with a big smile on his face sitting in the back watching it all happen with his arms crossed that's the douchiest moment of the entire movie
0: yeah. Remember School? that's that, that that part too
1: <laughs> well yeah remember the yeah. titans try yeah that does a similar thing but but just this idea that yeah it, it's it, it's the douchiest moment of the whole movie and that's why george is really the only answer but really, you could say you could say George, you could say the sheriff, you could say the barber, you could say pretty much anybody who votes to remove him from being a high school basketball
2: coach after what, like five games? Well, what I was going to say, too, is how about how how do is it to not only vote against keeping the coach? But then to also vote against him when Jimmy says he's going to play for the coach. What kind of psychopath are you? Are you kidding me? You're going to be so rigid and have such a vendetta that you're going to say you don't want Jimmy or the coach? That's ridiculous. So Douche also goes to the three voices that said nay at the end of that scene.
0: Yeah, that was one of the ones I wrote down. I wrote down the old man sitting behind Myra who still yeah. voted nay on, yeah. the, on the coach thing. Yeah. I mean, I also wrote down Buddy and Raid and George and the reps. But I guess the one that I hasn't been mentioned that I'll I'll go I'll go with is Jeff Moster as the Jasper player who says, "I didn't know the groom so small down there on the farm."
2: Mm, it's a good one.
0: I mean, it's a douchey line. It probably was good intimidation, but at the same time, I mean, like that 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 is like douchebag to a T. Like he would be in a frat and he would be like, you know, a, a terrible douchebag in college if he made it that far.
1: <laughs>
0: Ooh, good call. Shots fired.
2: I also thought about the Terre Haute player who uh, had the flagrant foul against Jimmy, and then was it Raid that came in and punched him, or no, Everett? Yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, Raid, they, Raid they slammed him, him up against the uh, up against the trophy case or something. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You're. Right, I feel you're like great. that. I feel like that was the first time that uh, that Norman actually liked Raid is when he got in the good the the good shot on the. Yeah, i got him
0: good there coach didn't i
1: <laughs> yes you did <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right what's the best scene in this movie todd what's the best scene
0: it's the it's the sectional finals like it, it's it, everett goes absolutely beast mode after a shooter gets kicked out uh for wandering on the court drunk like the very next shot is like the the score starts pounding and he sets a screen that is him just laying out some guy. And I'm like, yes, that is what Everett needs to be doing all the time. And like then, that, you know. that screen would have been called a flag <laughs> would have been thrown for a blindside block on that screen. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but it's beautiful in that slow motion montage. And like, it's like, absolutely. Everett is on fire now. And he, he probably had the best game of his life. He probably put up 25 boards.
1: Yeah. He was definitely playing on tilt. Um, <laughs> But I'm going to say there, there's so many great scenes, but I'm going to go with the first practice is my best scene. And, and the whole confrontation with George and how that all plays out, how Norman immediately takes control of the room and shows that this is my team and that's all that you need to know. And you're going to be, you're going to say, yes, sir, when I tell you to do something or else you're out of here. And how he kicks Buddy out just simply for just saying, when are we going to get started? he goes get out of here it's like dude that that took balls when you only have seven guys that takes balls and um and seeing all the stuff they're working on and actually working on fundamentals i mean it as a coach that's like that that is like that is like the dream right there what he did that was awesome
2: yeah i kind of it, that the way you described right there kind of reinforces why maybe Todd Todd's case for making uh, coach the biggest stick man because like you know when he says like, "Let's get real clear, okay? Let's be real clear." My name's Norm, and these this is the last time you're ever going to be a coach. Like that, that's pretty baller right there, and that is you know establishing some very alpha male territory, and uh, it's 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 pretty spectacular. Um, for me, the the obvious best scene in this movie is is the vote by the town. I mean, I guess maybe it's longer than a scene; it's a sequence that is a riveting scene that I think is really creative in a lot of ways, and it's the only time that really Jimmy speaks in the movie. I'd scene that also though stuck stuck out to me this time was when uh, Norm asks uh, or, or requests that uh, Shooter stop drinking, and I, I might mm, actually go with yeah. that one. I didn't. I, I never really noticed that scene as much earlier, but that is a scene of a tête-à-tête of legends of acting: Dennis Hopper, Gene Hackman, and just from a pure cinema fan, old Hollywood standpoint, that is a great. Moment And a great scene that completely changes the direction when, you know, coach says, and you got to stop drinking. And then the music changes and you can see Dennis Hopper's face change. That's like the best acted scene in the movie. So best basketball related scene, the town boat, but like the best acted scene is that is that scene right there.
0: It's also a really well written scene too. Because yeah. I mean that's exactly how the conversation goes. It's like he didn't want to say like you need to stop drinking. So he's like, Well, you know, you gotta get a haircut, you know, you gotta get a nice suit. And then he's like, and you gotta stop drinking. He- <laughs> you know, it's like I mean, that's all that conversation goes.
1: <laughs> and he was dancing around it almost hoping that Dennis Hopper would realize what he was hinting at. Yeah. And he and he mm-hmm. never does. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that is a that is a great scene. Um, the other scene that we haven't mentioned that is an iconic scene is the first scene when they show up in Indianapolis and they walk into Hinkle and he busts out the tape measure. It's like it's the exact same court, guys. It, the, no, there's nothing different. It's just in a bigger building. But it's the exact same court. That's a great scene, too.
0: Yeah. And and the picket fence scene. That's another just... Oh, that's yeah. just a great basketball scene.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't get caught watching the paint dry. Absolutely. Okay. Flaws, outdated stuff, conspiracy theories. Who wants to go first? I've got a couple things. I'll go first.
2: Okay. I want everybody, all three of our viewers on YouTube, to look at this old DVD for a second. (laughs) What do you see? You see Gene Hackman, right? This is supposedly the greatest basketball movie ever made. I don't see any basketball players on this cover. (laughs) <laughs> I don't even, see, I don't, I don't see anybody. I see Gene Hackman on the cover and for a movie that is supposedly as basketball and sports centric as it is, this movie is very much about a coach and a coach who arguably is not that good of a coach. I mean, we've talked about some of these things already. He is a great coach. Come on. He's Most a great his play sheet. We never see him open it.
0: <laughs> like it's just some like leather thing
2: that he just like <laughs> slaps down. We never see him open that. Well, it's very clear that he abandons the one strength that this team had before he got there, which was zone defense, All right, They don't play zone defense. They uh, they don't play any defense, okay? It is just – it, it, it devolves into, um, besides a rogue-gray mystery, just a stop-and-shoot type game that gets high scoring. So he he flat out refuses to do anything defensively, right, even though I'm talking about the fundamentals. This, this movie is also sort of a who's who of terrible coaches because – I feel like the previous Hickory coach had to be terrible to have Jimmy on that team and to only go 15 and 10. And then you're talking about the South, the South Bend Central coach who has the worst. Game management in the final minute that I have ever seen in any sport ever, and I include John Calipari in the 2008 NCAA championship game. I mean, that is, what is he doing? All you have to do is run out the clock. This is 1951 college basketball. You don't need to put up the shot. There's no shot clock. Like, what are you kidding me? It's the
0: same way, in remember the Titans where they don't take a knee. Maybe that didn't exist at the time. And it's not. Maybe you didn't run out the clock in in the 50s.
2: My I, this is a long winded way of saying Shooter's the best coach in the movie. Shooter should have been the coach from the beginning. Why didn't the town go to Shooter first? They didn't because even he need to the
0: game-winning he he did miss school. the game
2: winning shot. He did miss the game winning shot. Another conspiracy theory. Wouldn't that if it was night if it was in 1933? Wouldn't that make Shooter about 35 years old? Now maybe that's not a flaw because he's done so much drinking that that's just the way he looks at 35. I you know it's 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 very possible.
1: Okay, conspiracy theory. Is
2: is shooter a drunk if he makes the shot? Ooh. That's the kind of see that only that's the kind of content you get out of almost sideways. I mean, that is like oh you you heard it here, folks. Everything that's ever been written about this movie by obsessive mid forties white guys, no one has ever brought up that point. <laughs> that is a great probably, question, Terry.
0: He probably still is. I mean, look where he's living. I don't think I don't think he ever was getting a college scholarship or anything like that. I mean i don't i don't think he's ever leaving that town but he'd be the god like yeah, yeah.
1: like like i mean he everyone it's always nice to feel like god for just a little bit and he would be that and he missed that because he missed a shot and now he's a yeah. drunk
0: i want to I oh. know what, who his wife was like she died right is that what they say
2: no, she she couldn't be dead because he thinks that uh, Coach Dale went to his wife. That's why. Were oh, you talking to my right. wife? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, I just had one more conspiracy, which is that it's not a conspiracy; it's a flaw. Why is this movie called Hoosiers? Why isn't it not called Hucks? They're the Hucks. They're not because the Hoosiers. They're the Huskers.
0: Hoosiers are are if you play basketball in Indiana. Which I want to know why their their school it's they a Hoosier just Hoosier state. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah.
2: I get but it. But why don't you call them
0: the, the Hickory Hoosiers, though? Why do they call them the Huskers?
2: Or the Hucks. That, that's how they, they they shorten it. They, but this they is live in cornfields. call Huskers yeah. or Hucks, not Hoosiers. This isn't about, you know... This it's isn't about, about Indiana basketball. It's not about Bob Knight. Although there are some parallels between Bob Knight and Coach Dale. Maybe that's a whole other episode that we can... That's considered. true.
1: Well, and, okay, so you go to, like, the main... You, Going back to what you were saying about the uh, the DVD cover, you go back to the main movie poster for Hoosiers. It's a cornfield with some basketball shoes. So I mean,
2: better poster.
1: It is a much better poster, but at the same time, there's still no basketball players, and there's not
2: even a basketball in that picture. So yeah, um, that's that's just my point. My point is, it should have been more about the players, less about the coach. And originally, there was like a two hour and forty five minute cut of this movie that had scenes like Buddy returning. And I wonder if Gene Hackman's u- uber-sized ego got in the way of more subtle scenes with the supporting players.
0: Yeah, I had read where Ollie had a scene, had scenes in the cornfields talking to Coach Dale that uh, he he regrets them taking out of the movie. But I don't know. Hackman also
2: thought it was going to end his career at this movie. So you know. Gene Hackman wasn't was a dick. Can he be the biggest douchebag? I mean. He tried to run off the director and was just a total menace on set. Man, he just, you know, we talked a little bit about him with Silence of the Lambs, but I think your favorite actor, Todd, had a bit of a uh, ego issue. I mean, yeah.
1: Well, fine. I mean, all those all those like actors that hit their hit their stride in the 70s had were just a bunch of divas. You could you can kind of tell. And 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 they, they were divas and blamed the method.
2: <laughs> yes. That's good um, way
1: put yeah. Okay. So I've got a, I've got a few things here. First off, I, I mentioned it before, but yeah, Jimmy's crossover to get the final shot in the in the championship game is is horrible, and he should have never gotten that shot off. If he had any, if he had any sort of defender defending him, he shouldn't have gotten that shot off. Okay. So there's that. Next, um, next is uh, can we talk about the sectional final? Ollie makes the two free throws. Everyone freaks out. They almost lost that game.
0: Yeah, That three-quarter shot,
1: court shot almost went in. It was kind of ridiculous how close that thing was to going in.
2: It was like a Butler-Duke shot. I mean, it was like three-quarters of the court, and it was way too close for comfort.
1: It was way too close, and it's just completely forgotten about. But it almost went in twice like it hit the rim and then it went straight up and then it almost came down and went in. So I think that that's crazy. And then there, I, I got to say there is some definite repeated footage, especially in the championship game. Like there are a couple Jimmy Chitwood shots that um, are, are shown multiple times uh, as you watch that final scene or the final, the final game. So that was one thing I noticed.
0: All right. I have some things. Uh, so uh, during that first practice, uh, Coach Dale is told that the practices are at noon. I'm not sure how that works at a school, but <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't. But then later on, he says that it tells the players that they're in his army from three to four or three to five. So that should that contradicts that. And so I really don't know what's going on there. I also noticed uh, at, at the Hinkle Fieldhouse, the, the, the seats are painted red. I know Butler has never worn red, <laughs> so I'm not really sure. Did they paint the seats for the movie? But then why would they do know. that? Because it wasn't a home court advantage. I also think that a lot of the times that the 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 they, they treat it like the that Hickory is getting blown out. But like in the first game, the score is like eight to zero, and then they cut to it later as if like it's the end of the world and it's twenty to ten. They're in a lot better position than they were eight to zero, and they could even like cross half court. But uh, I I I don't know that that kind of thing just kind of bothers me. Uh, and I also I also don't understand when the ref says to them, uh, "If you lose, then we'll protest." What what exactly is he is he saying? Because they lost the game, so what happens after that? And who exactly was he talking to? Like which team was gonna protest? The guy who got shoved into the thing or the guy who I don't know. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah yeah yeah. I think he was talking to the to the other team's coach.
0: Okay, so what happens? How do you what do you protest at that point?
1: I I don't know.
0: I I, I've I've always wondered that. Like, so what are they gonna do? They lost the game, so
1: yeah. I mean, maybe play it again. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. You're right. And another
0: thing, one last thing I had written down was that Wikipedia has Ollie listed as the team's manager, and if that's the case. And he ended up being a player too because they didn't have enough guys. That's kind of awesome, but I ne- I never got that indication from the movie.
1: He I says think. it. He says it in the movie. He says team management is kind of my specialty.
0: But he was practicing.
1: Yeah, because they didn't have enough guys.
0: So he carries the water balls around. Okay. Yeah,
1: exactly, and never sees never sees the floor. He he is. I, I was I was thinking of like recasting him if i was going to recast him as like nba players he was going to be like judd bushler because he was going to be or or what was the one guy steve scheffler on the on the sonics he was a human uh cigar victory cigar because that's the only time he would see the court is if uh, is if they were up by like 30.
0: that's a good call
1: yeah all right lvp mvp and then we'll uh we'll wrap this thing up uh I'll go first. My LVP is uh is the kid in Ithaca that pissed off Norman Dale enough that he had to punch him. Um because I mean Norman Dale is a good coach and he shows a lot of level-headedness in everything he does in Hickory. So for a kid to piss him off to the point that he had that he punched him, I mean he's got to be the LVP and he ruined his the, the this coach's career. So that's what I'm going with. He's the LVP. Um, and, uh, I mean, everything, everything Normandale does, he like shows some level headness and how he's yelling at the ref and the next moment. He's telling his players something in a nice, calm voice. I mean, that that's just awesome. MVP. Um, I've got two, I've got Gene Hackman and then I've got Opal because she's the one that called for the, uh, for the revote. Mm. That's true. Yeah.
0: Good
2: point. She
1: likes that. And, appar- and apparently according, according to you guys also won in Norman so
0: <laughs> yeah she's a firecracker of an old lady she is she is
1: all right uh zach lvp mvp
2: all right my uh mvp of this movie was jerry goldsmith we haven't really talked about the music but uh the music <laughs> is iconic and it's sort of a strange um, soundtrack in a way because it doesn't sound like it's from the 1950s it definitely does some kind of like Electro synthetic sort of stuff, and but it's just so iconic and it's so memorable. And like, especially the slower, not the fast paced music, but like the slower theme, like at the beginning of the movie, and the sun is rising in the Indiana countryside. Oh, it just gives me chills every time. Um, the LVP of this movie, though, for me is Coach Norman Dale for some of the reasons that we talked about. First of all, how. Great of a coach, do you really have to be when you're talking about the greatest player in the 40 years that Principal Cletus has watched Indiana basketball? Okay, just let him play. Okay, let him play. Let's not do the rigid four pass system. The guy hit a player, he didn't disclose that information to the townspeople. He's 56 years old, showing up at this high school, trying to have an inappropriate workplace romance with one of his co workers. I mean, give me a break. How, how unethical, how unprofessional, and you know what? The movie should have been more about the players and not the coach. The coach gets too much credit when they win the championship. This was a team that uh, really didn't need much of coaching in the first place.
1: I mean, that's, th- that's a, a that's a horrible call. That's a horrible call. That 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 is that is the call of someone who who has never played basketball before. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I mean the exact same roster. Like they even say, we've got all the guys coming back and we went 15 and 10 last year. Yeah. We're going to be, we're, we might go, go 16 and nine. I mean, and that was with Jimmy playing. So, I mean, and, and Jimmy was playing for first
2: off. I mean, the coach he loved, the who coach died. he
1: loved who died. I mean, we, we haven't mentioned that at all. Yeah, that's the a coach conspiracy dies. Theory. How did that yeah. happen?
2: I think George yeah. was involved in that. I think
1: so. I think George wanted the team. I, uh, that's what I'm going with. Fifteen Bar- and ten,
2: and hey, with Jimmy
1: Chitwood.
0: you have to work at the school to be the coach, right? And that—that's why Norman has to teach. So uh, George has to be a, an employee, right?
1: I I don't know. I I think he was just being the being the fill-in guy. I don't know, but maybe uh,
0: he's a gym teacher or something. But
1: the whole thing is, Jimmy plays because of Norman's system. And because of Norman's dedication to the fundamentals, that's he, the only reason Jimmy
2: plays. The only reason he plays is because Norman didn't try to seduce him. You know, he, he stays away from him and Jimmy respects that. And he watches every game. He watches every
1: game. He watches how he coaches and he respects what he's trying to do with the team. That's why he
2: comes and plays. All right. <laughs> it was a tongue-in-cheek pick. I don't know. There's not a lot of bad elements. <laughs> Well, yeah, I went with the Ithaca kid for uh, for my LVP. So, I mean, at least I had a character seen on screen. Maybe there's a connection between the Ithaca kid and the coach that died.
1: the 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 Ithaca kid and the coach that died might,
2: like, it, yeah,
1: it, it might be like top five most impactful characters that are never seen on screen
2: mm-hmm. in like any movie. <laughs> Two of the top five, because yeah, they coach, have, to be. They have coach, to be. Coach Jimmy. Jimmy is a fully formed player. That's what I mean. What did what did what did Coach Dale do? Nothing. And he was he, his, do. he was like a father figure to him. I mean, he'd been coaching him since since what? He was five, maybe. I don't know. That's my point. Coach Dale didn't do anything to make Jimmy great. Jimmy was already a, a package. He was already spectacular. He didn't do anything. He just told the townspeople to get away
1: but he, he coached everybody else up around Jimmy so that they oh, yeah. actually win. They yeah, won no school ever been
2: to the state championship.
0: There's Going from 15 why, and have...
1: 10 to the state championship. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I that's all. I
0: was coach for a while.
1: <laughs> that that's all because that's all because Jimmy was uh you know, was a year removed from his dead coach. That that's really what did it. That's what got them to the state championship.
0: All uh, right. Okay. Well, my LVP—I have two of them actually. One of them you see, and one of them you don't see, of course. Uh, my one LVP is Cletus, who is the athletic director slash principal, I think. But he's—he tries to be an assistant coach, but he's so frail that he's like can't really do anything. Like one moment of stress, and like he is basically dying. He was killing himself by trying to be an assistant coach. He wasn't doing anything anyway, really. He was almost I mean, my worst performance. Uh Yeah, and my other LVP is whoever shot, uh, taught Raid how to shoot jump shots because he shoots them <laughs> off one foot. Probably his daddy or something, but I don't know. I don't know if we ever see his dad.
1: I I almost made him like like my LVP as well because he's he's the cocky one too, and he's got the worst jump shot in in yeah in yeah. on the team. Well, apparently he might not have a dad considering Roland is re- re- ready to beat him too. If uh, if he talks back,
0: uh, my MVP. I guess I'll go with Buddy because he's the defensive stopper, and he made number twenty boil. Like he he, I don't think we saw him score in any of those highlights in the last game. I don't think the team would have been the same if he he didn't come back at some point. Whenever he came back, I don't think it, I don't think the team would have been the same.
1: All right. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Quote of the day time. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day.
2: Zach, you're first. All right. So my quote of the day is a quote that I really didn't remember, but watching it again, my wife and I actually laughed out loud at this quote. It, and it's just a great it's not even just a bad line, but it's like a, it's just a great quote. And it's when um, a shooter shows up at Coach Dale's house and he's intoxicated and he's looking at that picture and he says, oh, I love that team. That was great. And then coach says, you knew that team. And then he says, I know everything there is about the greatest game ever played what what a great line great ever invented. invented i know
0: everything there is to know about the greatest game ever invented and i quote that like probably twice a week especially on the, that podcast. All the time. yeah and that was my <laughs> quote as well and so thanks for butchering it and screwing up my <laughs> moment Zach.
2: but it's just such a great quote on so many different levels you know it works it's so dynamic it's a great line it, it is, is a great, great line. line they don't come up with lines like that anymore and
0: it is the greatest game ever invented. That's what I. And whenever someone talks about basketball, that's what I'm saying.
1: I know everything there is know about the greatest game ever invented. Yeah, that that's a great line. Well, uh, Todd, do you have a, do you have a line? No, that was my you, only quote. That was your it. Your, okay.
2: You're not going right. to say the Norm's rousing quote at the high school uh, pep rally when he says, "This is your team," and then everyone's like, "He's he's the only coach who has ever stunned a pep rally into silence." Another point against him for LVP. Sorry, go ahead. Just Gary. suck the pep out of the pep rally. Yeah, what is <laughs> a pep rally? Well, come I mean, the, no, they, do, they, they.
0: Jimmy and throw him out there. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, that that's just what
1: you wanted. A pep rally is everyone chanting for the player who's not on the court. Um. Anyways, my quote of the day is uh, is like the quintessential coach quote from this movie. Uh, again, going back to to being a coach, I never fully said this verbatim, but I paraphrased it several times to my team. Um, and it's it's before the sectional final, I, th- I believe, where he says, if you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says at the end of the game. In my book, we're going to be winners. And that that's because that's all you can ask out of your team. To give their best and play their best game, and if you play their your best game, this is really what I would say. If you play your best game, and you still lose, you go and you shake their hands at the end and say good game because there's nothing more you could have done. But you got to play your best game.
0: And they and quite that's really literally what give him a slow clap. After <laughs> that, <laughs> they literally give, which ruins it. Which ruins it. But well, that's just to get them all fired up, though.
1: But yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's a quote of this movie for sure. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Make sure you subscribe rate review on all of our platforms, including YouTube. And I remembered, I have a comment here uh, from a a YouTube watcher that, uh, that, um, that watched our Minari review that really liked it. It was from Mr. Rock and Rock, who says, I absolutely love this discussion about the movie, including the critiques. This is probably because I agree with a lot of what was said. I too found the dynamic between the Jacob and Monica characters the most compelling part and wish that it was more of the focus. I also loved how the film mostly opted to go with what felt real versus what's supposed to drive a story in a Screenwriting 101 class. And I especially appreciated the shout out to Yeri Han's performance as Monica. This seems to be lost amid all the deserved accolades. Uh, being lavished upon Stephen Yoon, uh, Yoo Jun Yoon, and little Alan Kim. Her understated performance was outstanding and riveting. Thanks for this, fellas. P.S., lest I forget, Noelle Cho's performance as a daughter was also praiseworthy in my opinion. So, there you go. If you give us a great, I, I won't say if you give us any comment, it'll be read, but if you give us a good comment, like like that was a good comment. Like if you, if you just half-ass a comment, we're probably not going to read it. So uh, make sure it's a good quality comment, Uh, but make sure you subscribe, rate review, you comment and, uh, and listen. We'll be back at you next time with more content until then have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side.
0: Despite your crass behavior. I'm glad we were able to do this together.